All right, Zane. Uh, appreciate you coming on, man. We're just sitting here talking, going live now, uh, Life Unravel podcast, Zane Isaacs Championship MMA. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. All right. That's just foremost. Yeah. Good. All just right. Go back to talking like Go normal. back to talking biscuits and gravy. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So that's like I always, when I do have somebody on, we always do exactly what you and I did. Go walk around and talk about tons of cool shit. It's like I need like a recorder to, to carry around the gym and stuff. Right. You miss some get of the best the conversations. Free, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but I, you know, I have uh, invested in some gimbals and some stuff like that, some yeah. different ways to. So I'm going to start trying to do a little bit more of that. You know? Oh, that'd be cool. Just yeah. more filming. We're trying to start uh, even live streaming our kids' classes. Wow. Yeah. To kind of, man, now it's capacity issues. We, since we do two, three, at one time, even four classes are happening at one time. Mm -hmm. Two kids' classes. Do we have microphones? Right here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it picks us yeah. up. Yeah, man, I've, I'm, I'm playing with some different live stream methods, and I'm using StreamYard today, which is probably what I'm doing. I'm probably just going to mix my Zoom and do everything through StreamYard, live stream, multicam. But uh, for whatever reason, I man, I tried for like an hour from like 10 to 11 to get my mixer over here to pick up on my uh, uh, stream yard. And I got both the cameras, everything was good. Uh, but I was just like, forget it, screwed, plug the uh, Yeti Pro in. So yeah. these little Yeti mics, uh, if I ever do lectures, yeah, that's what I use. Okay. So, um, and I'm looking to see my podium over here. That's for, I bought that, I scored that in music stores when I had town for, for lecturing for my history classes. Yeah. But um, I need to figure out how I'm going to capture audio at that podium. I don't really know what I'm going to do. Mm. I thought about getting one of those little, like a, like a straw almost just kind of comes out real, real skinny. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some different things you could go with, but. Now I'm just like, man, I've got, I can do almost any variation of audio and video I want to hear. It started from just like one camera at the end of the table, shooting the side of both of us. Now we're, we're getting different shots. I'm looking into adding a camera shooting down this way. I've got another screen over here for if I'm piping and want to use it as a workspace. So yeah, this is like, man, I just finished. I only had to go in for a meeting with some other uh, high school teachers for some reason to tell them how I do my class, but I fit, just finished a semester uh, and, and now for the summer, I'm just going to do podcasting about every day. Awesome. So yeah. Awesome. You got a bunch of cool, bunch of cool stuff on that. Uh, yeah, I do, man. I do. And this is one, like I'd uh, hit you up on a couple weeks ago, but this is like the first one, like I just got done yesterday and I knew I'd awesome. be, I knew I'd be done today. And uh, man, I'm pumped to, uh, it said, I want to have uh, your friend Dwight on. I will be hitting him up uh, probably today. Yeah, because uh, man, I've I've watched and listened to him on on Facebook and uh, have followed along with his his this conversations in the comments. I I love how he interacts with everybody. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, I really want to have him on. So I'm gonna hit him up. But I got gonna try and do like one MMA themed episode a week as well, yeah. and then I historian friends and. You name it. I'm gonna a couple of English professors gonna come on. We're, we're, I'm trying to do a, set, a series on cuckoo's nest. I don't know if you've yeah. ever read that one. Flew no. over the cuckoo's nest. Never read it. It's I did the audio book last year. Yeah. Um, and then I've never seen the movie, but 
we're going to do some different things. Uh, one of my good friends um, teaches it in his comp two class. Yeah. And it's it's a wild, wild story that has some parallels like McCarthyism and this some different yeah. things. It's very interesting, uh, but it's in, in the same asylum. Yeah. And uh, the, at the end, you're just like, it's, it, it doesn't get quite like old yellerish, but at the end, you're like, I kind of saw this coming, but man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, it's tough, right? How, how uh, you get in an environment like that, people start interacting with you a certain way, and then you start questioning your whole, start questioning yourself. Right, isn't that kind of what it's about? Like he's, uh, if I'm trying to remember, he he's not crazy, but he goes into a, an insane asylum and, and, and basically pretty like quickly lead. starts going crazy. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit like leads. Um, he just immerses himself with the crazies, like the craziest of the crazies and the not so crazies, and yeah, you know, brings people who aren't crazy out of a catatonic phase that, that they've been stuck in, where they've just kind of been commenting on their environment it, it's yeah. weird but he like is why in doing that like leading revol- like little mini revolts yeah against the the head nurse yeah <clears throat> so it's you know i want to what's good about these podcasts if i don't say the f word too much which you can do that um <laughs> we'll try to keep it uh pg-13 ish i can um add them into uh my classes or my colleagues can so yeah you know and that's that's been a cool facet of the podcast like this content i share with the gym audience right i will push this out on the gym facebook page and be like fellow arkansas school owner here in the studio listen to what we had to say awesome yeah so i mean i do have a a local audience that that tunes in so Mm -hmm. it's it's nice yeah um so i'm really surprised at how much jkd stuff you got sitting over there Dude, that's why i asked you to come over you know because yeah. uh, man i i really uh it is a, a regret of mine to to have never trained with rodney at uh, all right like yeah. and, and i don't i just never he a couple hours away just never been around and talked to him at fights he was at a, a camp i was at but i've never got to learn from him but kind of and he's been to two or three seminars i've been at. Mm-hmm. i want to say did you guys come to the sean shirk seminar yeah yeah, yeah, we did. Great seminar, yeah. was it not? Yeah, it was. Yeah, but um, you know, I've been been around him quite a bit and have just admiration for the guy. He's always been nice to me. You know? Yeah. But but it's like he's also ever since I've been involved and been fascinated. Some of those books I've had the whole time. I've been you know right after I told you several of them were given to me. But uh, he is kind of synonymous with JKD in Arkansas. Kim and Mark McFan, but from yeah. kind of different ends. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, 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 unfortunately a a big, um, hotly contested divide. Right. I picked up on that somewhat. I never, I never understood the depths of it. Well, I don't understand it either, to be honest. Um, I I don't, well, I, I don't understand why. It, it, it irks me a little bit. I I have gotten to where I hesitate to even call myself a JKD guy or mention right out of the gate that I um, am a JKD instructor because of the connotation it kind of comes with, which is um, part mysticism, 
right? People get real weird about Bruce Lee. Um, like he was a wizard or something. And like I'm going to be teaching like spells and incantations or something, you know, like they get real, real mystical on me real quick. Like I'm, and they don't know what I'm going to teach them. If, if they have any idea, uh, if they have a, an idea in their head about what I might be teaching them, they're thinking like trapping him and stuff like that, like the Wing Chun Company and stuff. Um, uh, but then just the politics of it is so gross. It's so ugly. It's so um, hotly contested um, who this and who that and when and why and stuff like that. And it's just, um, I've been lucky because Rodney's a very, um, you know, he kind of avoids drama and politics and stuff like that at all costs. We just, like I told Dwight on his podcast, you know, man, we've just been hitting stuff. You know, we've just been punching each other in the face. Like, I don't, I'm I'm the worst. Uh, Rodney's more of a JKD nerd than I am. Keeps his ear to the ground a little bit more than me, but um, we've, I've just never nerded out that much on Bruce Lee or the history of JKD. Um, I was just like, show me how to hurt people. <laughs> like, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. Um, I'll listen to the history and I like the stories and all that, but um, I'm not, I wouldn't even call myself loyal to JKD. Show me something better and I'll start learning that. And I've, I've found plenty of things in JKD I didn't like, found plenty of things that, um, that I modified a little bit because I thought it might work better this way or that way or whatever. Um, but the two camps basically are, I don't know if you, it's hard, right? Because people would argue, people will, will aggressively argue even what the two camps are or how many camps there are or whatever. But in my mind, basically, there's the Inesanto um, lineage way of thinking, whatever, which is kind of, um, I don't know if I want to go into what his intentions were, but what it ended up being is like Filipino martial arts and Indonesian martial arts with like Pinchak Silat and things like that. Um, Muay Thai. Yeah, that chai connection. And then uh, the more authentically what Bruce Lee specifically was doing group, right? So there's the Inasanto group where he kind of went and found his own path. And um, the, the big argument is that a lot of people take um, Silat and uh, Wing Chun and Kali and Eskrima and, uh, and all this stuff and call it JKD. And that's kind of where the rest of are like, hey, that's not, yeah, you know. Um, Bruce Lee never taught that stuff, you know. So uh, is it JK? I, you can make an argument that it is JKD. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, and I don't, I don't even know if I care. But, um, but said all that to say that Ted Wong is is uh, one of the guys was one of the guys he passed away in 2010 but um, was one of the guys who was trying to preserve what uh, he felt Jeet Kune Do was and should be and should remain which is specifically what Bruce Lee was working on and taught and that's um, I believe it was in 90 
95 or 96, Rodney went to a Ted Wong seminar. He'd been an Inosanto guy. He'd, he'd been on the, you know, following Inosanto on the seminar circuit. Somebody seven told years. me that, that yeah. Rodney was, I was, I guess it was Will mentioned that, that Rodney originally had gone to a few, had been around Inosanto training with him, done some yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he'd been, um, and he thought, he thought that was Jeet Kune Do. Um, and I then did went too. to a, yeah. And then, then, you know, I started just kind of doing some research and, and really asking, like, I asked a few people some questions along the way. And then somebody basically was just like the, the, the divisions on the Filipino stuff it, it, to not yeah. get overly complicated. Yeah. And the, like the Silat and, 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 and even the Muay Thai, um, you know, that stuff is to the layman looks very similar, mm -hmm. but, um, but it's not the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, Rodney trained with Ted Wong one time, and he was like, that, "I'm scrapping my whole system. Like, this is what I'm doing. This makes way more sense to me than than what I've been trying to do." Um, in fact, that Rodney's told me a little bit about what he used to teach before that, and it was just a, a very man. He was doing MMA before MMA was a term, before the UFC was around, before any of that. He right. was doing. He was mixing wrestling and judo and boxing and kickboxing, taekwondo, tong sudo, muay thai, anything he'd been exposed to. If he liked it, he picked it up and he stuck it in there. And it was um, switching stances. And I mean, he had a, a really, really complete MMA system before UFC won. Yeah. Wow. Um, he was just a guy who had this intuitive. He has a very, <clears throat> I describe it as like a problem-based way of thinking. Like you can decide not to have an answer to the problem if you want to. If you want to train in Taekwondo, you don't know, you won't know anything about Jiu-Jitsu. Okay, you know, there's a problem you can't solve, but whatever, that's what you want to do. And vice versa, if you want to train uh, Jiu-Jitsu and have no answer to somebody that you can't take down, right? Okay, well, that's your that's your thing. That's fine. That's what you want to do. But um, if you're looking for um, kind of a foolproof, so to speak, methodology of training and defending yourself under any certain, you have to look at all the problems and you have to come up with solutions to all the problems. Um, and he, from very early on, you know, street fighting, <laughs> you know, from like, this big i mean he's legendary uh you know for being in fights one of the first things i ever heard about him before i ever met him was three or four people telling me stories about him you know um fighting at parties and stuff like that back when you know back when he was younger and uh, so he knew what a real fight looked like you know so he knew that while he was doing tong sudo yeah, it's not quite what a real fight's like. And when he was doing judo, it's not really quite what a real fight's like. So he kind of had to patch it all together for himself. So kind of right out of the box, when I decided, when I started training with him, of course, I was watching UFCs, right? I think, you know, we were probably on like UFC 12 or something at the time when I started training with him. And um, right out of the box, man, he had a complete MMA system, you know? Yeah. Amazing. So it was for at the time, 
you couldn't you couldn't find it anywhere. I just got extremely lucky. What what year what year would this have been? Like we talking late eighties? Um, like when did he start no. with Ted Wong? Or well, okay, oh. so UFC one would have been Earth. So I, I get what you're so, but when did he meet Ted Wong? That's that's really what I'm mid nineties, mid ninety five, ninety six, something like that. And um, you know what Ted Wong was teaching was uh, um, what Bruce Lee was working on the last six years of his life. See, there seems to be a big interpretation on that, that like, this is the Chinatown school and this is Seattle. The, the Oakland era, yeah. the Chinatown era, the Seattle era, etc. I couldn't even tell you what that stuff is, honestly. I couldn't, I like, I'm the worst JKD nerd ever. I'm, I'm so not, it turns me off, all the politics. Just I, I could, off. I've already kind of picked up on that because it is, like you said, people hotly contest it, but I do kind of get a little bit like what you were saying a second ago about like like Rodney thinking he was doing just like yeah this is JKD but a great example of that is I and I don't think I have maybe I have most Paul Gurmat DVDs most um in digital form but uh he has a series he put out long time ago this would have been late 80s I'm sure called Bruce Lee's energy drills. Have you ever seen it? No. He put it on his own YouTube page recently. He released a ton of his old content. Mm -hmm. But starts off, um, you know, it gets into some chi sao. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. The lop sao, bong sao roll, a lot of people call it. Yeah. Um, switching sides with the with the pull. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, who but? And then and then he's like, and then we join all three of them together. And in the title of the DVD, mind you, is Bruce Lee's Energy Drills. But did Bruce Lee do teach who bud? I don't think so. Yeah. But maybe he did it, but that wasn't necessarily part of the system, seems to be the divide. But so a lot of things are presented that way, I think maybe just to sell DVDs. At one time you could really make, to be honest, you could just make a lot of money if you just throw Bruce Lee's name around at one time right now if i mention bruce lee in my kids class if i've got 20 kids on the mat four kids raise their hand you know like who knows who bruce lee is three or four kids my dad told me that right nobody knows who bruce lee is and people uh how old are you 34 34 even at, even at your age i would say there's plenty of people out there who's like hey, bruce lee was an actor dude he wasn't a fighter. Know anything I about know a guy that's like that too? And yeah. he, he he will say he will go to people. I don't know what he really thinks, but he always yeah. throws that out. So yeah. sure Bruce Lee means fantastic actor. Yeah, I've seen that comment. Yeah, Jason Ryan is this dude's name. Watch yeah. out for him. He is a shit poster. He's, <laughs> he's been on the podcast. He's a he's a brown belt. He's a good friend of mine. Um, yeah, but he's been on the podcast. He's coming down to train tomorrow. Yeah. So, but uh, he's always. I don't even fault anybody for thinking that. I don't fault anybody for thinking. I don't either. I, I definitely don't no get emotional reason. about it. No, I, and here's my thing. I, there's no reason to believe that Bruce Lee was a great fighter. There's no evidence of it. You know, there's the, the it's hard debated. to believe that he was a wuss. You know, if you see that, if you see him move, like it's hard to believe he can't fight. But, um, and then of course you listen to his students. Um, but then you know, man, there's you know people have reverence reverence for their instructor. You know, you see guys. 
no touch knockout. You know, people, you know, so I mean, you know, there's some hero worship going on. So it's like, it's hard to say. Yeah. But for my money, it's like, there's no reason to believe that Bruce Lee was a great fighter. That, you know, he, I mean, there's evidence like he never sparred. Uh, Joe Lewis said he never sparred with, with Bruce. To me, that's a decent indication that Bruce Lee was like, I really don't feel like getting my butt kicked by this big gorilla, you know. Um, he did spar with Chuck Norris. You know, maybe the difference was that Chuck Norris was a nice guy and Joe Lewis was not. <laughs> maybe that's the difference, you know. Joe Lewis, God rest his soul, man, was a great guy, but I have a feeling that sparring with him was no fun whatsoever. Yeah, you know, oh, I, you know, during uh, my jiu-jitsu coach and just martial arts coach, he's the, the guy I've come up under the whole time. He, so he's also under Bill Wallace, too, right? So yep. Bill and Joe both, he trained with both those guys forever. Jealous. But, man, when he talks about sparring with Joe, he we did a podcast just about his training with each one of those guys. Oh, really? Right? Man, I yeah. It, and there's some good stories. Like, he told me this, and it's been blowing my mind, that, because I've been trying to encourage everybody to go to super quick camp, but he said that Bill, Chuck, and Joe were all at Chuck's ranch, mm -hmm. right? And that, like, Chuck Norris goes over to Bill and is like, dude, something's not right with Joe. And then brain tumor diagnosis, <clears throat> you know? So, like, those those guys were tied all the way until the end. That was, like, a year and a half before. He, but Dream told some great stories about, training with Joe, like karate college stories and stuff and like that. Joe was in like, had recovered, right, from a surgery or from chemo or something for his brain tumor um, during the two seminars that we, that I attended. I think, I think Rodney may have gone to one, but I attended two of them. And um, I think he maybe he'd had a surgery because I can't remember now. I remember his neck, man. Literally, like, Just significantly inflamed. bigger than a paint can. Really inflamed, you know, yeah. Um, and you talk about an intense dude. You ever been around him? No. I mean, it's a big regret of mine, dude. I was telling these people man. in my class, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I had something better to do that day, guys. Last seminar I ever taught, had something, had to go compete in a jiu-jitsu tournament at Purple Belt. <laughs> I, I, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, you guys got to go to this Memphis camp, you know, because, I mean, Bill Wallace is 76. Yeah. And, like, we're, and Dan Asano's 84. And, man, Paul Dunak is in his 50s late 50s i forget but man he does not look tip-top shape and when i see him on camera and stuff I, I mean not saying that he's frail or injured or or beat up but it's like everybody all of these guys we're talking about are getting older yeah whether it's 70s or 80s or they i mean just a lifetime of doing it and like you know i would say people from our generation or you know you probably years ahead of me i feel like those guys were so hardcore like injury brain damage all of these other things that like we're kind of like hey let's uh settle down Skippy. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about this <laughs> yeah i want to be able to do things for for yeah. longer you I know don't, i mean they came up in a generation i think where they 
a significant, like I've heard stories, like a significant amount of people back then literally thought you could toughen your chin by getting knocked out or by sparring hard, like you could get <laughs> toughen up your uh, brain, you know what I mean, to not get knocked out by getting hit a lot. Um, turns out that just causes Parkinson's instead. Yeah, turns out uh, not so much. But I, I was telling, I got to tell this story. I was telling that story <laughs> because Joe Lewis, um, first off, one of the most intense people I've ever been around. Like, his his stare, when he looked you in the eye, it was like he had heat vision. You, you wanted to look away. Like, it was like looking... It was like staring into the sun, looking at this guy. And he would, I mean, he would like lean in. He's talking to you. And he would just burn through your brain with his eyes. One of the most intense people I've ever been around. And uh, he, uh, first off, he carried around this pegboard with like the, right? These things. Have you heard this story? I know what you're talking about. Dream's got a pair of those in his truck. I can't even make him move. Yeah. He takes the 200 pound one. He, with one hand, he goes like this and squeezes it. The other hand, because he couldn't, he couldn't do it like this, right? The other hand, he puts his thumb and first finger on, 200-pound test squeeze, and he goes clink, 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 like that. And then he puts a focus mitt on the floor and does a chin push-up. That's way harder than it sounds, and I know it has to sound hard. He does a, he does a set of chin push-ups just pushes himself up he's recovering from surgery or from like you know some some kind of i don't remember what the diagnosis was but he's like this was between the time when he was in the hospital and the time where was that was this in arkansas where you guys this was in jackson mississippi was one of them and then tulsa was the other one yeah i know like right there at the at the end around i believe one of the surgeries um, that's when he Drain got his last rank from him. He did a, a seminar in Sherwood, you know, and that's the one I missed out on. But uh, I just, that's definitely regret. I mean, I, I, I love hearing people talk about that guy. And like, I watch his, I've got some DVDs over there. I watch his stuff. He does seminars on YouTube. I got playlists full of his stuff. He's a very interesting, very interesting character, very interesting cat, man. He is definitely a pioneer, you know, um, changed his styles, changed his striking style over the years and, and, uh, you know, kind of fell in love with boxing and stuff like that later on. Early on was kind of just a straight up karate fighter or whatever with a sidekick, you know, with his stories. He was just sidekick. He's like walking into a jackhammer. You're just going to get sidekicked to death. So did you know this in Okinawa, Drink told me this on, one of the podcasts that not at the same time, but Bill Wallace and Joe Lewis came out of the same dojo. No, in in Okinawa. And uh, like they were both over there, I believe for military purposes. Mm -hmm. Right. And Chuck Norris, his story was, I believe he's in Korea. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's right. Got exposed to Tang Sudo later on type, got into Taekwondo, but those guys came from the same, dojo gym and came back and early on we're doing <clears throat> more of that like point type fighting which evolves into full contact and you know which they were really the pioneers of but they both came out of the same gym and i've been really 
deep diving on superfoot system, just yeah. training for, to, to test for a bite by thunder. And, and also just, just because a lot of superfoot's uh, website has a, a ton of Joe stuff on it, like his drills and just like, I wanted that as a comparison and they're so different, man. It's yeah. insane. It, that's what Dream is saying is he's like, these guys came out of the same gym and like, <clears throat> look at their body styles. Totally yeah. different. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. But I guess it's always that way. You just kind of find your natural, um, you know, one, one, another one of my reasons for kind of a little bit of a departure on from the JKD stuff. Um, one of the many reasons, but is like, I, I finally just had to admit like this style of fighting from the outside Right. Ted Wong's JKD is fencing without the sword, is what he would say. Right. Um, a lot of lead hand, lead foot stuff, and a lot of really quick in and out, really quick in and out movement, angling off, things like that. Um, but I finally just had to admit, like, when I watched the sport, the only people really able to implement that particularly well are the guys like Michael Benham Page. Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy for sure. You know, um, Darren Till. Um, you know, yeah, I could name guys all day long, but they are built a lot more like you than me, right? They're built a lot more like Will Walker than me. So I finally just had to admit, like, man, that when I spar, that does not serve me well, right? To try to like pick apart somebody that's built like you or Will, it's just not going to work. It's mathematically just not a sound strategy right so i kind of had to <clears throat> re you know rethink my strategy for my personal um preference and then of course you know it roughly 50 percent of my students are going to be built more like me than they are you you know so i've got to kind of build a system around the reality that not everybody's going to be able to um to use that strategy of to to the best effect, you know, for them. So um, that just got older, man. How old are you? Forty-four. Okay. Oh, well, I'll be forty-four next week. But uh, you know, I, I just don't I don't move like I used to. I I don't see stuff coming like I used to. You know, I see it coming all the way to my chin. You know, like yeah, I picked that off a long time ago. I can't move out of the way of it, but I see it. You know, the body just doesn't respond anymore. My feet aren't as fast as they used to be. So, um, just kind of had to re reevaluate. You know, maybe uh, started having back problems and stuff eight or ten years ago. You know, and so that my back hurts right now. <laughs> like, yeah. it, you know, and it, I'm ten years ago for for you. Yeah, but uh, I I've had some back issues for a while, and I've I just got a physical therapy for torn labrum. Mm. Three months of physical therapy. I'm and it's still injured. No roll. I did, I couldn't do shit for three months. It's a beating. Man. I could, I didn't roll for probably. I didn't spar or roll hardly at all for probably five years. I just started sparring and rolling again, and it feels like I just started sparring and rolling again. <laughs> it feels like I'm 44 years old. And I haven't done it and in I've, five years. I've been, I have not sparred a ton over the last, more more like 
three or four years, but but I still spar, but not anything in comparison to what yeah. I once did. And it's very periodic. It's not even weekly, but trained for this Superfoot uh, event. I've been been sparring quite a bit, but it's also sparring from like his sort of side side stance, yeah. which is more of an out fight. Right, but right. he he will do some boxing. It's it's very interesting because I've not really done that, like that sort of Wonder Boy stuff. But it's you know, and it is interesting. But but you know, Dring makes a lot of the same points as you, and he's probably going to be sixty, mm-hmm. right? But he was just saying that we did a private lesson before our event yesterday, and he's just like, "Here's why I do and don't do this because I'm not as fast as I once was with this and." You know, yeah. and, and he, you know, the particular thing he he had all laid out of like why, like he's like this would be good for you, it'd be really good for your twenty year old boxer over there. Exactly. You know, and and I think it does take people, not even in my, because I've been I've been training for fourteen and a half years, but still I I'm thirty four. There's like a, a weird I, I like an equation of like how long have you been training and how old are you and and i can't and then you know some the older i get the more i can like what you're saying the different people in the class different body types different skill levels like how can i accommodate these people and they still get better you know and 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 put that together with um i'm not i don't run a fight gym anymore you know i run a family martial arts dojo so that's um, i mean we have my soccer moms and baseball dads are look they're they're athletic so they're going to get fit in the class but they're never going to be like conditioned to fight so there's only so much i can expect them to pick up in the way of footwork and stuff like that there's only so much you can expect out of somebody you can't you're you're not I'm, i'm not dealing with will walker anymore who's obsessed right when he was when he was fighting on a regular basis he was obsessed so you give him something to work on and a hundred percent chance the next time you saw him, he was going to be better at it. You know, um, these folks are, you know, this is a, a hobby. Some take it more seriously than others, but this is a hobby for them. So I've got to find, you know, kind of find something that, um, that works for them. And the thing about JKD, Ted Wong JKD in particular is it's like black belt level stuff. They want, you know, Bruce Lee didn't, Nothing about it was basic. Yeah. You know, it was simple. Simple is not easy. Uh, well, the, the straight lead by Terry Tong, I'm sure you've thumbed through it a little bit. That's hard to do. The straight lead is an extremely hard technique to do. I've been doing it 22 years, still suck at it. I got, I mean, to be honest, I got a pretty good one. Still not very good. <laughs> like, but I don't know anybody who has a better one than me. Mine's still not that great. You know, it's it's hard to do. And then you add... Um, and that's just hitting the pads with it. You know, you try to try to use it in sparring. Um, it can be difficult, be difficult to do. <laughs> and uh, expecting that out of regular people is just not. It's unfair. It, it overwhelms them. You know, it, we're running a business, right? It overwhelms them, and they'll quit. Mm-hmm. You know, so what? Uh, so, like when you were getting, yeah, you know, like the other day we had three boxers compete. It just USA Boxing was an event. I, and I don't know if we've ever had three boxers compete on the same card. 
and I've had some folks fight. Uh, probably we've had like oh, half a dozen boxing fights and a kickboxing fight in the last year. But and I'm kind of like you. Oh, there came a point where it was such a small percentage of people that were doing anything MMA oriented, like us having like everything now is like a, a specific class kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, jiu-jitsu, buggy, you know, fitness, kickboxing, yoga, kids' age groups. What In the kids, we do just, in, we, we it is MMA works with them, but maybe 10 years ago, when I was not having families and stuff, I was like, I thought it was such a big deal that I had like 10 or 12 guys that were coming to MMA and coming to fight practices. And, and over time, that seemed to dwindle. Like, I was still doing one MMA class a week here, and I would have 22 people in jiu-jitsu, and then two and would stay for MMA. And I, that has always puzzled me, but at the same time, it's like that culture, sadly, it, it kind of, if you mix it with what we're doing, like running a more, like a, a gym for everybody, mm-hmm. it can kind of run off. Uh, some yeah. of your crowd too and like I haven't had as much of a struggle with that as some other people I know that I'm changed but it's just like yeah like Will Walker's not going to be the same as uh, you know yeah. my my guy that got one tip on his jiu-jitsu white belt last night who's been doing kickboxing with me for 10 years those people were talking about I've, yeah I gave that conversation last night I was like this guy you know kickboxing yeah. forever and now he's doing jiu-jitsu yeah. and I'm like and none of y'all know how to throw a punch <laughs> you know, because like there's a couple people there that do striking too, yeah. but it's like um, it is. It seems like everybody wants a, a specific skill set, but they come to you for self defense, and they don't like the answer you give them about yeah. what self defense is. They want to do what's comfortable to them, or or maybe some of them are just like picking teams. You know, there's a lot of that going on in the JKD stuff. Everybody just kind of picks a team. And it's interesting because what Rodney always did looked way more like the general idea of what Dan Musanto was doing than it did what Ted Wong was doing because he was, he had a complete system. Ted Wong did not have a complete system. He did not pretend to, like I'm teaching you, this is what I'm teaching you, what Bruce Lee was doing the last six years of his life. If you're learning this for self-defense, it's great. This will work unless you're dealing with somebody who takes you to the ground. You need to go learn to grapple. You know? So what did, so you guys, uh, you know, I've trained with Dustin Keeter. Uh, he's come down and trained Luke. Yeah. Like I, Luke Gates, which I know, is he trained with you now? Um, he was for a while. He jacked his knee up. <laughs> well, it, you know, you guys kind of always did have a, uh, the, the people I've trained with in Arkansas that didn't train with like McFan or anything, just like those two guys. It's just an interesting approach to grappling, you know? Yeah. Um, and didn't Rodney, like, do you guys call it like non-classical grappling or something yeah. like that? Like, what, like where, does, where does that influence sort of come from? Like, what do you guys do for, for grappling system? Man, this is such a difficult question. Um, what Rodney tried to do was find, first of all, um, for a long time, it was next to impossible to find someone to teach you how to 
grapple, find somebody to teach you how to, to do jujitsu. There was no wrestling in Arkansas, so there's no wrestling coaches. It wasn't until 09. Right. There's no uh, jujitsu. There's no jujitsu in, in, in Arkansas at, at the time. I mean, this was pre uh, MMA craze and everything. Right? It was back in the late 90s. Well, Rodney wrestled in high school a little bit, and he was exposed to, uh, he grew up in Huntington Beach. So he was exposed to a ton, like that's Mecca, right, for martial arts, always has been. So he was exposed to a ton of different um, martial arts influences, uh, grappling and stuff like that um, there. So he kind of like hodgepodge this system together, but always with a really heavy emphasis on um, punching, basically punching you know um grappling's way easier when you punch somebody in the face you know fighting from your back way way harder if somebody's punching you in the face so um the whole style so to speak is it looks way more like what happens in the ufc than it does uh what happens on a jujitsu mat uh basically you know um there's a lot of emphasis on man i don't remember ever uh training how to technically break the guard for instance that's how you do it right now there's got elbow you in the gut punch you in the face repeat as necessary your guard opens up ta-da that is magic. a great guard break i'm right. not gonna lie um and uh you know what to do inside the guard um punch them and if that doesn't work stand up and punch them right when their guard opens up throw their stupid legs out of the way punch them some more right so you can you could kind of um you, there there were some of our guys who were uh you know william was always very technical william's a probably the the best example of a, the more technical side of, of what we did, but um, we had plenty of guys. Garrett Cox, uh, yeah, Jeremy Green was one of our guys, and I mean they're just smash mouth. They're just gonna they're just gonna throw you on your back, smash you to bits, pass your guard, smash you to bits some more until you turn your back, <laughs> and then choke you. You know, um, and that's that was kind of the. It's very unsophisticated. If I'm honest, it's very unsophisticated. I'm 22 year white belt. I've never put. I've never rolled in a gear. That is what uh, has fascinated me about um, you guys. It's like because I would see y'all at like Fort Smith MMA fights. That is when I would cross paths pass with you guys at fights. But and and I'm talking like I remember seeing Will fight a few times, maybe as many as five amateur, mm-hmm. right? Like this and that Gary Cox guy you're talking yeah. about. But it was always fascinating to me at the time because I probably would have been. A, blue belt maybe purple belt but probably probably a blue belt in jiu-jitsu and you guys w- were good it, it grappling for mma and yeah. it's just like i knew that y'all didn't train did in not the have any kind of grappling pedigree yeah well like, you know, literally no grappling pedigree rodney doesn't have a, a belt i don't know that he has it uh, that may not be true i think he might be a, a black belt in japanese jiu-jitsu i don't remember but man, it just it, it didn't blow my mind, but it just challenges uh, the conventional way of thinking that that all grappling is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. 
you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like people, I, I, I've been uh, stereotyped as that. And uh, I do like to remind people occasionally that I actually started off the first year and a half that I trained. We didn't even do gi. We yeah. did no gi. Yeah. We did MMA. Like that's back. That was like, I started training the year that, um, year, year after 06 that uh, the Bonner Griffin fight. Oh, yeah. Like Will and I were talking about this when we did our first Tough series podcast, right? Yeah. Is like that everybody uh, that I have had on that is probably, let's say, your age or above. I'm like, how'd you get going with all this? They're like, UFC one, UFC three, UFC four. It's the same answer, yeah. but for like people from my generation or, or maybe even Will's, it is tough. It's that Bonner Griffin. Like I remember seeing Michael Bisping win the Ultimate Fighter, yeah. you know, and had been training for a little while and was just, you know, fascinated. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, man, how much it's evolved since that time. But at that time, I was not doing any G work, so it was like that was a newer way of thinking for me at that time. That I was a blue belt. That, and then I got really into competing in Jiu-Jitsu, like purple and brown belt, and got into the sport and I was just like, man, fuck this. Like, like you guys don't even do heel hooks. Yeah. Like, and I got shit leg locks because I've been playing your stupid game. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. I realized about midway through my brown belt with how heavily invested I was in sport jujitsu at that time. There's a three or four year period where that's what I did. Yeah. Like I got I but and I'm not I don't regret doing it. It's probably one of my bad things right now. But <laughs> But, you know, and I, I, I had a kickboxing fight, a couple of MMA fights, but, oh, man, I just, like, I opened up, and, like, we, we do heel hooks in the gi all the time, which is, like, some people would be like, oh, sacrilege. Yeah. We're, it's against the rules. Like, I joke about the jiu-jitsu thought police all the time because yeah. it, it there is a little bit of that going on, and, and it's easy to – I wouldn't say it really any of my instructors ever forced it. It's like, it's like there's a culture out there that, that the sport of jujitsu is the, this is it. Keyword, uh, keyword cult, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, people pick teams. It's team stuff, man. Every, everything is, everybody just kind of wants to belong to a, a group that thinks this, the same as them. And that nobody wants to hear anybody else's opinion. They want to hear their thoughts and opinion come out of somebody else's face. Um, so everybody just kind of picks teams with it. And, um, I feel like one of the main reasons I gravitated to Rodney is because he's kind of a, um, I'm a natural contrarian, right? I, if you say something I agree with, I'll find a way to disagree with it just to have not a debate really, but just to have a conversation about whatever it is, right? Um, just to ask questions, right? I just like, well, what if this though, right? I, I just like to, to um, and that's the kind of stuff I like to nerd out on a little bit is answering different problems, different ways. What's the best way to answer them for this, that, and the other, whatever. But Rodney's very much a um, go his own way kind of, kind of guy. He, he's very quiet about it, but he's going to quietly do his own thing. He's not going to, he's not a joiner, you know. Um, so, um, 
which is why even though we were huge JK huge huge JKD fans, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, really loved Ted Wong. Just as a as a person, Ted Wong was, you know, a guy of the highest integrity, you know, really liked really liked being around the guy. But at the same time, um, you just always had to recognize and remember like Ted Wong is limited to what he was taught by Bruce Lee. Um, Bruce Lee didn't teach him. There's a lot of things Bruce Lee didn't teach him. Um, there's a lot of things this, that pisses people off. But look, man, you and I, either one, have far more knowledge about martial arts in general than Bruce Lee. I've thought about that a lot, dude. He was 33, 34 I know. years old. I know. 32 or whatever, right? And he could not have been exposed to as much martial arts, as, mu as many fights. Think about how many fights you and I have watched. Live, on TV, how many sparring matches we've watched, how many sparring matches we've been in. We've been exposed to so much more than Bruce Lee ever did. There's no reason for, to, to you know, this. There's nothing that pisses the JKD community off, but like guys, just because Bruce Lee said it or did it doesn't mean it's right. You know, just doesn't. He, I have more martial arts knowledge than Bruce Lee did. Sorry, mm -hmm. sorry about it. Here's the good news: you do too. You probably do too. Bruce unless you have been, the internet, man. Yeah. Unless, and sadly, sadly, that's not true. They could have more knowledge than Bruce Lee, but they're so doggedly tied uh, into the, like the dogma of JKD and what Bruce Lee did and what he said and what he didn't say and et cetera, et cetera, that they, most of the JKD community, sadly, particularly the Ted Wong side, um, they don't watch MMA. They don't understand it. They've never been in a fight, and to be perfectly honest, they can't fight sleep. They can't. They couldn't fight the wearing the paper bag. I was about to say that's the, the wet paper bag uh, yeah. metaphor. They, they can't. They they can, almost none of those guys can fight. Sorry, prove me wrong. But you know, if you prove me wrong, <laughs> like I've told several of them, you come in and beat me up, guys. This will be like my fifth ass whooping this week. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, like I'm on the mat getting beat up all the time and that's where I just part ways with them. You guys are, I, the analogy I always use is that you guys are worrying and arguing and fussing about the ingredients and you never get around to just making the damn chili. That's, you know? uh, that's uh, there's, <laughs> so you can see my, my musical interest here, but I'm just like, you know, as soon, as soon as I get this next pedal down here, like that's when my sound's really going to come together. Like I just need that next one. <laughs> Yeah. But it is, that's uh, like, there's, I saw a funny meme that was like, I'm a stereotype, you know, it's yeah. like, but I do, man, I just, I like sound, I'm an, I'm a bit of an audio pod, collect vinyl, and yeah. it's, you know, I, I played in, I grew up playing in the church band, that's how I got involved with music, you know, and just from there, and, and damn, it's been over 20 years now of playing music, playing guitar and, and bass, and as an adult, I started taking lessons somewhat recently, 
and, yeah. and you know, so just start, started approaching it from a different level. And now that I'm been, I've been out of college for five years and at the gym and I, I work at the college in Morrillton and it's like, it's nice. I can kind of, uh, things I've always wanted to do, dude. I remember when my greatest goal in life was to own Greg Nelson's clinch, just the five volume clinch that he put out, you know? Yeah. And I remember when I, I was able through just, I was not working on campus yet, but just through martial arts, I was like able to comfortably afford it. And I was just like, I made it, man. Like I always wanted this when I was a poor, starving college student. And I was watching the 10 minute clip on YouTube repeatedly. Yep. But uh, man, that's a, uh, synthesis has always been my approach with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, the reason I bought those Terry Tom books is because I thought she would have some insight, and she does, to the way Ted Wong did things. Yeah. Just like that's kind of what I wanted to talk with you about, what I'd want to talk with Rodney about. It's like it, it's its own sort of unique flavor, just like Bill Wallace, you know, yeah. or Paul Vunak or, you know, yeah. whoever, whoever the next guy is. Uh, but, it, but it is, it's interesting that uh, there's so much division on all this stuff between all these people real world that we're really talking about it, it, the thing that pisses me off the most i think is that i would bet my home i'd bet everything i own right now that bruce lee would think train and teach a lot more like me if he were still alive than he would like the the jkd goon community <laughs> I refer to them like all these JKD goons who are uh, so married to whatever it is Bruce they they interpret that Bruce Lee was doing or trying to do or said or or whatever. That's you know, um, I think that this is one thing Dwight and I uh, part company on is I think Bruce Lee would have been an early adopter of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I think he would have seen the value in it, and I think he would have been. Um, now, Bruce Lee's another guy who was a contrarian. He, he wasn't a joiner. So, you know, it's not like he had a black belt under Jun Ri, you know, or anything like that. So I have kind of goaded Dwight a little bit. Like, I think he would I think he would have been one of the earlier American black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I don't actually think that. But I do think he would have been an early adopter of a more sophisticated uh, skill set of grappling, you know, that yeah. most people have. And, um, you know, that's kind of interesting because I wonder what it would have looked like, you know. Um, I, I really think it would have looked a lot like what Rodney came up with. Yeah, exactly. What I was just thinking is, you know, I've seen, I know this one has put out a couple of grappling sets of like uh, Eric Paulson's one of the demos and in one of them I think came out in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, but seeing some of their, and in, in, in Asana I think says that that's the grab when they were doing like 67 to 71 or something like that. He has like a date he puts on it. But it, he it and is, Bruce Lee was doing it? That's it, that Bruce Lee was doing it the, I guess uh, maybe said the Chinatown school, right? I can, I, if they, I got wow. this in my Google Drive and I can share it with yeah. you. Um, but I have a ton of, I have a whole folder of JKD videos, man, from yeah. Bunak and Asano, Blicky, Blicky, yeah, Blicky's got an eight volume set that's, and it sells on Budo videos for like 400 bucks. Wow. 
right? Blows my mind. But um, it's a pretty good set. Uh, you yeah. know, it's got the big, big uh, trapping dummy work. I mean, it's yeah. it's got. Uh, See, that's another thing. Ted Wong taught zero trapping. Zero trapping. Interesting. So, but I've heard, didn't Bruce Lee kind of go away from trapping? He got away from it. Yeah, by the time he was training Ted Wong. See, this is another thing that people don't like, like to really think about. Dan Inosanto was a Bruce Lee student for quite a bit longer than Ted Wong. Mm -hmm. But Bruce Lee kept copious notes on who trained with him, when, what they taught, etc. Ted Wong had far more hours of instruction under Bruce Lee than Dan Inosanto did. That means nothing. Really, means nothing. Um, I think in many ways, Dan Inosanto was a it would be easy to describe him as a more complete, more learned martial artist than Ted Wong, you know. So I'm not taking anything away from from Dan Osama by saying that. JKD guys will probably, you know, they they they're probably go butt hurt about it um, because to them, Bruce Lee knowledge, Bruce Lee time equals ability to teach, fight, etc. Right? It doesn't to me. It doesn't really mean anything to me. There's lots of people out there who never met Bruce Lee who can bite your ass off. Like it's not a big deal. Um, but just saying, Ted Wong has, I think there's literally one guy, period, who had more hours with Bruce Lee than Ted Wong. One guy ever. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name now. But um, you know, Ted Wong had a lot of private instruction, backyard instruction with with Bruce Lee and it was very boxing and as far as I can tell this might have even been told to me but boxing fencing and savat is basically what it looks like to me the lead leg the pendulum footwork with the kicks um, and then you know he studied a lot of bare knuckle boxing because the gloves as you saw in the and yeah, as you saw in the Terry Tom book, you know, gloves changed boxing. They did. And, and it's an atrocity to look at bare knuckle boxing now. Yeah. If you know anything about the history of what it was, of how, how precise, how technical, yes. how evolved that it had become so they wouldn't break their hands. Yes. You know, and, and then the gloves go on. A lot of people, I've heard Joe Rogan make this argument that that is the reason we should do away with gloves in combat sports because it will, it will force the evolution because people will break their hands initially. Just like if we change weight cutting or, yeah. or weight, weight yeah. people die initially, yeah. but then it'll go away. I don't it's, know. I don't know where I stand. I don't either. Yeah. I think it is interesting. I would be very interested in a no glove MMA competition. Just like I, I'm very interested in, um, uh, Combat jujitsu, Eddie Bravo's combat jujitsu. Oh, I know. That's like it's really all these things. Like, oh, that's another like a, yeah. a patch, like an add on to what. Some I people do. make fun of it because it's like, oh, you guys, they just don't want to do MMA. I don't. Okay, cool. They don't want to do MMA. They don't want to. They don't want to fight on their feet. Oh, so, you know, we don't. Um, do we do we crap on uh, jujitsu because they don't throw punches? Do we crap on boxing because they don't kick each other and wrestle like? It's just that's just the sport, man. It's not a big deal. Yeah, they don't want to get punched in the face. 
me too. Like I'm kind of retired from it myself. You know, I do my sparring, but I'm very careful about who I spar. Do, do, uh, do you ever have, do your knuckles ever hurt? Yeah. Yeah. Like my middle knuckles on both my hands. Um, if I do a significant amount of pad work or strike, like it, I worked with Rudy at the TJ Brown seminar a while back mm-hmm. and three hours, I think is what it was. But dude, at the end of the day, like my knuckles were red. I could, they've started irritating me. So it's like, I'm, I'm more an advocate of things that don't, I'm like, I, I can't do this forever. Like, yeah. what's this going to be like 10, 15 years? You know, there's a, this is interesting because William and I have been going back and forth on this a little bit, or I, I kind of um, solicited his services, right? I, because I've been, there's this, the Bruce Lee school of thought is that you land with those three knuckles, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The traditional boxing and karate is those yeah. two knuckles. And, um, for me, for the longest time, it was just a simple math problem. If I don't want to break my hand, I want to spread the force out among three bones. If I want to get through a glove and do the most damage possible, I hit with those. Karate guys, this is just a theory, but they needed to break through that Japanese, the Okinawans needed to break through the Japanese wooden armor. That's where board breaking came in, and that's where punching with the smaller surface came in. They wanted to get that smaller surface on there to break the to break through the armor easier, so that you get to them. Um, so I don't know that. I mean, this finger is particularly like this is for dexterity. These are your gripping fingers. Like you could True. lose that finger. That you got a great, great grip, like jujitsu. You know what? When you're gripping things, right? You're th- these are the fingers that really do the. the you gripping. tell people that, and I'll argue with you. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. A, I, I'm yeah. a, I know what you're saying 100%. Uh, if uh, my judo instructor, my first judo instructor, he would always say that. And he'd, he wouldn't argue with me. He'd be like, Which one do you think? He'd ask some of the different people periodically yeah. being here. But yeah, it's it's these. So my thing is this, though if you're worried about your hand in a street fight, you worry about the wrong shit. <laughs> you worry about the wrong stuff, right? Um, the other thing, though, is I'm starting to swing. I'm, I'm really curious now because I recently got into weightlifting. Once my back started hurting, I was like, man, I can't Me fight too. anymore. Me too. Crap, so I need to look like I can fight. I'm way more fit now. I look way more intimidating now at all five, five of me. But I look way more fit now than I did 10 years ago. When I was in my 30s, man, I was a pudgy dude, which See, I didn't I, care. I, I, I did remember you looking a bit different than you do now, just yeah. seeing you around. Yeah, right? I was just a you know, a little bit of a swelled up little butterball kind of dude, but I didn't care because I could scrap, you know, that was, you know, so it was fine with me. And I, and I even had, I, I carried, you know, like I was relatively fit. I wasn't like fight condition, but I was relatively fit. Um, looking like that. Once my back and neck and stuff started hurting, I started getting where like, man, I, I just can't, like I, you know, I might roll one, one day and I might not roll again for two months, you know, just be all jacked up same way with sparring. Um, I can still demonstrate stuff, but if I do, um, I used to do a lot more angling, rolling out, rolling under stuff like that. That's hard on the low back, man. especially when I'm doing it 
by reflex. Like I can demonstrate it because I'm kind of telling my body what to do. But when I'm doing it under duress, my body's just kind of doing it and I throw my back out really as I'm doing that. So I kind of kind of change. I'm in the process of kind of changing the way I move on my feet. But I, I said all that to say, what the, what was I talking about? The, the, the knuckles. Um, so I started, got into weightlifting and I started noticing like when I'm pushing dumbbells, if I get stuck, I naturally turn these knuckles in and I get 10% stronger. If I'm benching, and I don't bench press a lot, but it's particularly true on bench press. If I get stuck, I just naturally yeah. just turn these knuckles in and I get 10% stronger pushing with these knuckles forward. Some people say to point. I've seen people emphasize pointing with your yeah. fingers on a bench press. See, I've never heard that, but I experienced it. Yeah, so it's, it's got to be like the same thing as what, yeah. Yeah, like rethought. Well, shit. Like, I'm literally stronger if I point those knuckles. So maybe that is how I need to be punching. Um, like an alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a musk, like a aligning the musculature in there, which they're, you know, I talk about that a lot. Like, you, you do a lot of that with jujitsu. Put your hand this way, not this way. Put your, you know, put your elbow this way. See, this that's way. where I, there's this, I picked this up from Japanese jujitsu, but there's like, if you grab someone's hand to like twist a, like that, if you grab it like this, it is a notable difference if you point. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, you can go from like the person's not bending their knees and doing it, and you point and they'll whoop. Yeah. Uh, Rodney talks about that. Yeah. And it, he learned it from a, a Hapkido. He learned from a Hapkido guy. Um, you know, doing wrist locks and stuff. We messed around with all sorts of stuff back in the day. When I first started training with him, we weren't. Um, we did a lot more self-defense type stuff and even stuff that dealing with like non-compliant situations because we both worked at this juvenile camp that's in Mansfield, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. um, so we were restraining teenage kids, you know, um, which they're growing big now. So you like, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to really, you know, you gotta be able to really wrestle because mm -hmm. these, these little bastards are, you know, 200 pounds and they can bench 400 pounds and slam back a basketball, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just, you know, and the, and the, uh, the state is telling you like, now take them down on their back. Don't take them down on their stomach. Like, don't take, don't take them down face down. You might hurt them. Like, I'll be lucky if he doesn't kill me. Are you kidding me? I don't get to pick how I take him down. He's probably going to take me down, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to find a way to sweep him and get on top of him. Right. Anyway. Um, so we did a lot of wrist locks and stuff like that back then. And then MMA blew up, man. And, you know, we just got away from, I did anyway. I got away from all of the wrist lock stuff. I got away from all of the like compliance type technique stuff. And, man, I, I like training that stuff, but I have not, I've had an opportunity again. Drain has a background in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, but like I got some carpal tunnel in this arm since I, and I think I just upgraded to a standing desk at uh, mm -hmm. my office in Morrison. So I think a lot of it is typing notes. I've been teach I've been teaching for three years. So man, I've been I type a ton every day. But I've been investing. I built this table a little higher. I've got my posture chair here. Yeah. My Joe Rogan chair. Right. Yeah. Oh, but, is that the Joe yeah, Rogan? Yeah, it's chair. the Joe you know, to type in it, you sit this way. 
And it's really? supposed to alleviate the, the carpal tunnel, right? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, hold on. Let's see. So okay. see how that, like, you're not, you're, your chest is, is putting weight on this. So for typing, like, I'm going to, I have this thing on Cassie's here. We'll slide it around where you're sitting if I'm typing. Yeah. It'll be less of an issue, right? That, that right. monitor yeah. over yeah. there. So, and, and I've used that for, we'll put it in this slot if, you know, somebody's zooming in and we need to look at these cameras yeah. versus us looking this way and the camera's looking at, you know, well, so yeah. it's weird to try and figure out these configurations for, yeah. to do the yeah. audio video, man. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. That's been for it to all look smooth. There's a, there's a certain, um, my, my, my buddy, John Paul Bales, who owns the championship brand. That's a whole other story about how I became a championship MMA guy. But, um, oh, so that's a, is that a franchise? Yep. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't even know. There's, there's, there's a whole story behind that. Don Paul Bales was actually a quote unquote rival coach there in Fort Smith. And they were like his buddies, but he was a coach of another team. But anyway, um, he's kind of my business coach, my business guru, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, where the hell was I going with that? This happens to me all the time. It's not the drain bramage we've sustained. No, certainly not. Yeah, it drains that um, all. Drain, drain bramage. Like yeah. it, right, puts the uh, reverses oh, it. But oh, I can't remember. I was uh, uh, with championship. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember where I was going with it. Any, anyway, to, well, to finish my thought on the the knuckles thing, because I this is an interesting thing to me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm asking questions. I don't know, but. I had William do, and I'm going to have him do it again because I don't like what he did. <laughs> but I had him x-ray himself. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, he is. Here versus here. Right? And to look at the bones and just look at the alignment. Yeah, I mean, and you see can... what looks right and what doesn't. But I've always told people, like, man, if I told you, if I paid you $100 to go, like, punch something really, really dents right something hard not necessarily concrete but like you know one of those like like the bottom of a heavy bag that people have been kicking on for a few years yeah, if i paid you a hundred dollars to go punch that son of a bitch as hard as you could punch it would you punch it with these three knuckles or would you punch it with these two knuckles and i'm punching it with these three knuckles i'm not punching it with these two knuckles i i think I think this is safer to do, but I think this might be more powerful. I don't know. Going further on that, though, none of our guys, uh, very few of our guys ever wrapped their hands in MMA. And we never had a hand break. Yeah, I don't. Um, I've thought about starting to do cloth wraps because of some of the problems I've had. But at the same time, I'm like. I wrap my boxers' hands when they fight, but for fights we wrap. Obviously, you have to, but um, I never wrap. Uh, and who was it that I was reading? Maybe Joe Lewis was saying sometimes you shouldn't wrap your hands. Man, I never wrapped my hands. I hit until literally a few years ago because my hands just started hurting. Um, I never wore. We never wore gloves. To hit mitts or bags ever that's something no i've seen a lot of no uh, a, a lot of people do that um yeah there's and, no reason to i mean it toughens up your wrist what i really like about it is 
um, you are forced to be extremely precise with your shot, not only the placement of it, but the angle of it, particularly like with hooks. You can't swat at it and hit like this like you can in a glove. You have to get this really clean purchase with your fist and deliver all that force super clean in the end. And it can't be like, right? You just you just lost everything off your hand, right? You like your exposed bone now. Right. So you got to be like straight in, straight out. And it's there's it's a different kind of power when you get this really precise impact like that. Um, and you don't want to push the punch. It forces you to not push it. So you can't like stay on the bag too long because you'll tear your knuckles up. It just whap, right on, right off. Right? Like and that you get the skin, uh, like the streak of skin on exactly. the bag. Exactly. Exactly. Many a time. Yeah. So um, it forces you to be really precise. And I think that we never wrapped hands unless we had to. And like William literally Rodney's done this just to be a smart ass. They're like, no, you got to wrap your hands. So Rodney would literally take gauze and then take just like that. There you go. His hands are wrapped. William never even got close to breaking his hand. Now he's not a big haymaker striker, but that's kind of the point. Yeah. That is what got us on this whole conversation though, is like gloves have changed, changed everything. And that's not uh, that's not good. And I think we're seeing you know if you uh, Trevor Whitman mm-hmm. was on Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah. just kind of talking about how like how shitty the gear oh, for yeah. MMA is. Like, yeah. dude, I've had one pair of MMA gloves ever that I felt like fit my hand. Yep, I own three pair, um, and I like one of them. You know. I've got some really fancy combat corner uh, handmade in Thailand that when I open my hand, the thumb piece is so long that it just comes off my finger. Uh, that, that's, that central finger's coming out, which, like, uh, didn't somebody lose a finger in a fight Not recently? Very long ago, yeah. yeah. Lost the finger. Uh, but, you know, and I would always, uh, there for a while, I would buy the more, like, I guess you could say there'd be MMA sparring gloves. Mm-hmm. Like, they were more rounded, but yeah. you still had the... Mm-hmm. And some of those, but man, he breaks down like the science behind, like, because I guess he makes his own clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like three hundred dollars a pair, but it's mm-hmm. like he's got this, like, hey, here's how stuff should be made, yeah. And kind of like talking about things, like we're, t- we're breaking it down of like, yeah. And uh, I think about that a jacked up glove, not necessarily a boxing glove. I'm more talking about a mag glove. Yeah, could, could throw off the structure of your hand. Like, like when it changed in the striking surface and you're trying to right. amend whichever idea we're trying here to in right. the gloves, a challenge for that. Yeah. 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 I think the gloves are a shame, I think, um, because it makes it so difficult. Like my students, I'm, I'm have everybody wear MMA gloves during the grappling portion, even if we're not doing any punching, even if we're not doing any punching, I'll have everybody wear, grab, wear MMA gloves. Number one, um, it looks cool, right? It just looks cool to be wearing MMA gloves while we're while we're training. But number two, um, I always tell them like, guys, if you can do this in MMA gloves, you're going to be a murderer without MMA gloves on. Like, if you can hit submissions and you can grab people's wrists 
and you can find ways to hold on to people, you know, grab body handles and all that with an MMA glove on, you take these gloves off, man, and it's going to feel like you have four hands, you know, like you're going to be really, really good. And I think it simulates that kind of condition black in a self-defense situation where like you lose all dexterity in your hand, you know, um, so it, it kind of uh, simulates that feeling of clumsiness, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, um, I have everybody wear them, and once again, I can't remember what I was talking about. But, yeah. Yeah, this happens all the I, t- I, I, I took that We up. shouldn't even worry about it. We'll just segue on to the next thing. <clears throat> um, let's talk some J- – what questions do you have about JKD? What, what okay. kind of stuff was okay. you Okay, so I was just saying a second ago what you're talking about. Like, where are you at on traffic? So you, you personally, do you, you, you don't train it at it's all? garbage. No. I, I, you show me where traffic has ever been done to any sophistication whatsoever in a fight anywhere ever. Anywhere ever. The JKD world just went nuts not long ago over Kamaru Usman's knockout. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. He did a beautiful, um, I believe it's a jowl sow is what they yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah. He pulled the guard down and hit him. Number one. He could have just hit him, just to be clear. He could have just hit him, right? His guard wasn't going anywhere. It just happened to be there. He happened to reach up and grab it and feel the punch. Um, number one. Number two, if I showed you, um, if you called me in for a seminar, right? Hey, saying I want you to show us some JKD traffic. I was like, okay, man, check this out. I'll show you this awesome move. You'd be like, Okay, want my money back, right? That's not trapping, right? Trapping is like, yeah, you know what I mean? And all this stuff. None of that stuff has ever been done in a fight anywhere ever. Um, and people will argue, well, uh, you 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 can see it in grappling. You can see it in grappling. And you argument. can see it in clinching. Okay, train grappling. You guys don't even train grappling. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not even trained. What are you talking about? How would you know it's done in grappling? Number one, you don't even train grappling. Number two, and most yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, kickboxers don't train clinch either. Exactly. Like I got so fed up with that stereotype. Like just recently, I was like, I'm sick of not getting to work enough clinch knees and elbows. Like we're we're at the Muay Thai class two days a week, and we're still keeping kickboxing. You know what? We don't do clinch knees and elbows in there anyway. So that's just where we'll do other other shit. You know, yep. and I will work in. It, I like doing it this way now because it allows me to work. I'll work in some stick or knife stuff. To mm-hmm. Just, yeah, I like training that I never get to do either yeah. in those kickboxing classes to mm-hmm. add a little bit more of like, no, you guys don't grapple. Exactly. So let's let's do a little bit of this, and I'll, a lot of people come to the Muay Thai and the kickboxing now. So yeah. it's, yeah. which you know, it is like I, that's one thing I've always loved about Thai boxing and kind of got away from it a little bit, but. When I first started out, Caleb had trained with Chai a ton, trained with McFan originally, and we did a ton of clinch. I remember throwing somebody in a clinch or a cross tram one day, and they 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 were they had never done it. Clueless. And and I was just like, in my first two fights, clinch knees all day long. The first one was a TKO. The second one, the dude died when I need him, and then I got mounted him, hit him, turned yeah. over, choked. But it's like it, Vanderlei Silva back in the day, you know. Anderson Silva when yeah. uh, when he first came over and beat Rich Franklin. But then, like, after 
a while, like we started doing these IKFs and shit and the, and the fights we were getting in Arkansas, you wouldn't let you clinch yeah. and all this weird shit. It's cause it evolved more out of full contact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the clinch stuff can look a lot like trapping, but it's like, then just train the clinch. Mm-hmm. Train the clinch then. Like, look, you know, um, these guys, you know, I tell them, like, dude, you might be able to kick my ass. You can't do it with trapping. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, you're not going to do it with trapping. You're not going to, like, pox sal lopsal me. You know, if you try, I'm going to beat you to death. Did you, did you ever work. train any of that coming up very much? Trapping? We messed with just a little bit of it because um, that's what Rodney had been exposed to in the Dan Osama lineage, right? So we messed with a little bit of it. But over the years, Rodney just kind of kept refining and, you know, the daily decrease, right? Instead of the daily increase is kind of a, it's kind of a JKD thought process or whatever, right? Fewer techniques. Rodney was always real big on that. He always wanted to be exposed to more stuff, rake it in here, pick through it, find some things he liked. But if he found some things he liked, he's going to be looking at his other stuff like, I'm going to take this, but I don't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not just adding. He's adding with purpose, you know, and trapping was one of the things pretty early on. It's out of there. It just doesn't. Now, that being said, I teach a whole series off parrying and hitting, you know, smack, particularly because we all uh, fought strong, strong side forward, right? So we were mm-hmm. almost all southpaws. So dealing with that front hand, we would smack the hand and jab, smack the hand and cross, smack the hand and hook, smack the hand side kick, smack the hand, kick the leg. That's very, in fact, you see, you see Cowboy doing that. Mm-hmm. Let's just slap the shit out of their hand and then leg kick them. Yeah, that stuff's effective, like one swat and then go. But this thing of like two or three complex movements in switching sides and going back. To yeah, the you're wasting side. your time that way. It's look, if you like training it, man, train it, please do. But if you're teaching it to someone as a modality of self-defense, shame on you. Shame on you. That's nonsense. It's not effective. What, so I, I picked up some chatter about this, and, and I think I, I was you and Rodney. I was seeing comment on something on on social, but the the ranges discussion, yeah, right, like that's something big that just from watching tons of Insano and Bunak stuff, yeah. they're all about the 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 ranges of like kicking range, boxing range, right. trapping, grappling, all, you know, but apparently that may have not been anything Bruce Lee propagated. No, no. Um, Ted Wong used to teach a long range, medium range, close range or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's like it, it means nothing about what techniques you can do in these ranges. There's just a little bit different. First off, the stance needs to change a little bit. As you get closer, you need to get squared up a little bit more so you have access to both hands and they can't get behind you as easy. Um, Head movement, of course, everything needs to look quite a bit different. You need to be a little bit lower in your stance. You need to be moving your head on a swivel because you're right there in gunfight range. Um, The no man's land, you know, is is what Ted Long is talking about. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty common 
yeah. um, term, no man's land. Yeah. Like you get, we're in gunfight range, baby. If I can hit you, you can hit me. You know, so you got to have your head on a swivel. And you got to have the hands up, and everything needs to look right. Out here at long range, we can start looking pretty cute. You know, we can drop our hands, and we can play Michael Van Page and Cowboy and and all that stuff. But getting inside, everything needs to look quite a bit different. But Ted Wong was like, guys, I can. No, be nose to nose you with you and sidekick you. I can hit you from outside of kick, kicking range. Yeah. I can punch you right with with the straight lead. Ted Wong had a deadly straight lead, and watching him move, a guy his age in particular who was really like he defied physics. You know how he he was so fast and explosive, and but so effortless at the same time. He moved better than, um, he moved better than a lot of high-level pro boxers. How old was he when he passed, you know? 70s? No, I think he was, I think he might have been late 50s, early 60s. Oh, wow. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Tried to, did he have cancer? It's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah, he, he caught it super late, you know, like pancreatic or prostate. Something like that. Pancreatic cancer delayed. killed my favorite guitar player. My philosophy professor from college has it right now. Dang. Um, it, friend of mine's dad. It's a, it's a terrible cancer. Yeah, it's a bad one. He let's see. He was born in Hong Kong in thirty-seven. Uh, let's see, seventy-three. Seventy-three. I was totally wrong. I don't think he was so young here. Yeah. Too, and I remember Rodney coming to this long time ago. Long time ago, I split room with these karate people for like 23 months until I opened my first location, went out of my own. Um, but they had Richard Bastillo here. Yep, did you go to that? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. He, um, he was fun, yeah, He he had a really fun personality, very charismatic, yeah. And I want to say I remember it was here in Russellville. I think I remember Rodney coming and that Garrett Cox guy coming to. Yeah. Yeah. We came to train with him as often as we could, you know, and would have done the same thing with Dan Usano. You know, it wasn't like we were, we never joined teams. We just decided we liked the Ted Wong stuff. You know, yeah. that's all it was. Um, we liked Richard Bastille. He would show us clinch stuff. He showed us clinch stuff that we took home, implemented. I'd say we, like I was you know, part of the coaching team or something like that. Rodney, of course, who did it. I just like to insert myself in there and feel cool. But, uh, you know, Rodney took took that stuff straight home and implemented it right away, you know, for a lot of the clinch stuff, the grappling stuff. I mean, we um, he taught us the double arm bar, which I'm sure you know, but he, that's that's where we learned that, you know. Like, that's the craziest you know what i mean like yeah, that's crazy it is it seen. is crazy <clears throat> but um um yeah just so much knowledge man so there's some knowledge. other uh guys like that i mean ted wong richard basillo um poteet um never never met him but i mean there's some there's some definitely some especially those First generation guys that would have been really cool to train with. And uh, I hear a lot about um, Terry Gibson. I got some of his VHS tapes over there. I'm getting converted to DVD. Like when I went up and trained with McMahon, and he had boxes full of VHSs. He goes, 
I've already got this converted. You can have anything you want. And I was just like, wow. And I was like, the other two guys that were there, like, uh, hey, when you get those converted, you know, we have permission. So you can just go ahead and just add add us to the drive folder, you know? And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, I got you guys. Like, <laughs> you guys got a drive folder you need to add me to, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, that was uh, Terry Gibson, who's a Tulsa guy, apparently. But I've seen yeah. some of his old tapes and stuff, mm-hmm. but, um, and known people that trained with him, but he was apparently, he died of cancer or something. It's apparently just uh, uh, the, the, one of the best guys in the whole region, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, I recognize the name. I wouldn't be able to pick him. Larry up Hartzell's there. another guy. I've got some of his books. Yeah, um, McFan is one actually that Rodney's always talked highly of. Dude, he, he um, and I had a blast training with him, and I, I like it was awesome because yeah. uh, we trained for three hours. And um, did a little bit of everything, did some stick work, did some trapping, did just a little bit of everything. But that dude is intense. Yeah. And, like, uh, he did, like, a bicep crush on me with a stick and, like, like oh. threw me with it. Yeah. And uh, and he had, like, a judo certificate from, like, 82 from Gene LaBelle wow. hanging on the wall. And I was just, like, like, he chunked me. And like we land and he's got, he's like in a pin with his back on me, but like compressing my bicep with that stick. And the next day, dude, my whole bicep right here and arm was just like red. Yeah. He, uh, then somebody, one of the guys there had a rubber knife. Yeah. And he was like, I hate those rubber knives. And, and like made a comment about it. And then like he took the knife away from the guy and then like slapped him on the forearm with it. And he goes, see. And, and but it's like he, then he made a elaborated. He's like, you can't even do realistic stuff with these because the blade will never bend that way. Like right. the, the, these takeaways, look. Let me show. Them. This does not, you know, simulate what we need here. And right. uh, but then that dude had like a big red spot where he had slapped him with it. Yeah, because it like kind of miffed his technique up a little bit. But yeah. uh, it was it was funny, man. And I, I had a great time training with him. It was just awesome. But yeah. I just always. I had a fascination with it. I, Mike and Caleb who own Inferno, they kind of came up with training under McFan and then ended up training with Dring after that point. But, you know, if early on, it was McFan and Chai. Like, that was all, like the curriculum and stuff they were running. That was the influence. And it, and I've been a part of that Inferno system forever. Wow. And I, didn't, I never knew that there was such like a – strong JKD connection there. You know what's funny is I have this memory, very vague memory, so it may be complete nonsense. Um, but I really want to say that we went up to Rogers, one of the early one of the early days of the fight team. We went up to Rogers and our guys competed. It might have been in Fort Smith, I don't know, but it was Caleb had seen our guys fight a few times. And uh he was telling Rodney, um, it's like, man, I love watching you guys fight. You know, it's like it's beautiful Muay Thai. You know, and Rodney was like, yeah, it's actually JKD. And Caleb, you see it, Caleb's eyes just get this big, like, really? You know, like, there's another JKD, you know, there's another JKD group in Arkansas or yeah. whatever. And uh, I don't remember the conversation ensued, uh, what ensued after that, but, um, I, it, it kind of uh, 
it makes more sense now. Yeah, I mean, like, so I was around for like the changing of the curriculums and stuff. And like early on when we first started, like it was definitively like Chai's shit. Yeah. Like the, the, the standard Muay Thai four counts, the yeah. combinations off that. Like I've seen a ton of their stuff over the years and I have a login to their website actually. But, and it was a ton of JKD stuff, less the trapping. There wasn't really any focus yeah. on that. We did, I'll tell you, we did one drill and this is the con, con, con the convolutedness of this that we're talking about. It was explained to me as Pox out that it's actually hoop up. Mm -hmm. It's the that one you parry, you go wrist to wrist, trap and punch. Parry pass. Yeah. yeah. Which is if I'm not mistaken, I mean Dana Asana Filipino martial arts six volume set from 1988 says it's hoop up. Yeah. You know, because they do they do a hoop up this way. Yeah. And then that way. So I've heard I've heard people call this straight line hoop, but they do a different a different count one too, where it's more it, it resembles greatly the concept of high reference box out. Yeah. But it's not. It's it's it's, it's different, you know. Yeah. But I was like, that's uh, you know, if you watch a bunch of Paul Dunant videos from the eighties, it's like you real easy to get that stuff mixed up. It's like cause it's there is some trapping in Filipino. There is some trapping in Wing Chun. They some similarities there, right. which is which. If you're being told it's all Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, right, right, and then you get into Ed Parker Kempo and a lot of that stuff, which starts looking the same too. You know, yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting to me that trapping made its way into so many martial arts styles. And it, it, it makes me question whether or not I know what the hell I'm talking about. Well, because it's, if it's in so many martial arts styles, it must have been somewhat effective under some kind of circumstances. What do you like, think about blade cultures? Do you think what? that's the like blade, like yeah. whether it's knife or stick or yeah. machete, that's what I've thought is like, okay, well, this. It seems like weapon shit. Yeah. Like Drang explained this to me. He's like, look, you got sh like what you're saying, you kind of blew my mind with the board breaking thing. I'd never heard that. But he's like, I may be total nonsense, by the way. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Just to be clear. <laughs> Same <laughs> here. Same here. Disclaimer. All right. If you're listening. Uh, but like the think about like a warrior class from really any time. Mm -hmm. You're wearing armor. You got probably something resembling shoulder pads from football yep right like you can't punch you can't like what we were talking about with 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 punching earlier like that's not even applicable like Drang was like yes i know this is very weird because he's a ninth degree in taekwondo yeah. on top of all this other stuff and he's like i know this is weird keep your shoulder down he's like but you think you could punch you wearing shoulder stuff like that he's like no but you could knuckle dagger somebody right in the throat yeah right so this doesn't really make sense when you're all piled you can't even do that armor. no so you're just like it makes perfect sense yeah, and well i was like that that blew blew my mind i mean you know and i'm sure there's some applicability there but i wonder how much of the trapping i've thought this many times i would just look just looking at the filipino stuff that it's like this is blade stuff. You're yeah. not doing empty hand. Cool. It's a game. It's patty cake. Like, 
Inasano even jokes about that, but it's like it seems like the all the applicability may be with with tying getting a two on one on a weapon hand or something. Yeah, but that's the I'm with you. It, it, I watched Palicki talk about this and he a couple of times, and he used an interesting. He's like, some people consider this esoteric, and yeah. that is that is a good way to describe it. It's like. Okay, so you've got philosophy and you've got religion and you've got magic. Yeah. Right? Like, and depending on when and where you're looking at ancient Egypt, maybe they all kind of blur and blend. And what's the difference in the three? And is Greek philosophy, is that different than Egyptian magic and religion? What's, you know, so it's, I've thought about it that way before. It's like, it is kind of an esoteric practice. Like, I, I don't really use trapping. I like some of the arguments I've heard of like when we were doing that straight line drill, mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, this is, this is a hand eye drill for, yeah. for, for you to build your mind, uh, in your mind's eye, the idea that you parry a punch, you parry right. a punch on the same side. You're not going to do this right. other start, but, but other, but right. That coordination to follow with the count. I've heard that too. My thing is always like, yeah, you're not going to do that other part. So. Stop being that other I part. Know, dude, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. You know what irritates me? People um, in sport jujitsu are trying to do high volume reps on like guard passes. Mm-hmm. And they'll do like, like you're saying, like a leg drag. They throw the legs to the side yeah. and then they put themselves back in the guard. They do the step and then they reverse out. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you don't put yourself back in the guard. Like yeah. if you really want to train for the highest level of sport, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense or like uh judo uchikomis where you just like jota, jota. so you're doing in and out and you never do the out motion mm-hmm. so i get i get that all uh 100 um, yeah rodney was always very against stuff like that like um you know if you did a knife disarm for instance i disarm you and i take the knife from you now you got to disarm. I didn't even hand this knife knife you. You got to disarm it, right? You heard the story of this off-duty police officer or something like he gets mugged and he's practiced this pistol this pistol disarm and he's legit with it and he goes pop and hands the guy back the gun by reflex because that's what he trained it over and over and over again. Hands the guy the gun back. The guy shoots him. Shoots him dead. Ooh, I'll have to look that up. I did. I hear, this is legend. I, I did hear a story the other day that a guy, um, a guy and his buddy. This is somebody that I'm friends with on social media. But a guy and his buddy, um, you were getting mugged, and the guy tried to take the gun away, and he did. And then they both beat the shit out of the guy that pulled the gun on him. But he sh- it shot through his hand when he was doing. It, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like that's like we got a and everybody pays lip service to this idea of like, oh, you know, if you got a knife fight, you're going to get cut. It's like, hell yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to the people say that and then they train in the way we're talking about. Yeah. It, it, where yeah. it's. Man, our knife disarms were, you know, we would do a, an occasional step-by-step kind of thing. But like our, our we, we were like, I got this knife come get it right and i'm gonna stab the piss out of you where you're trying to get it from me that was our knife practice like it was just full bore you know and we eventually figured out like 
kind of the best modalities, you know what I mean? The best like little meta or whatever, the best path to get this knife away with, and maybe I only get stabbed 12 times, you know, like there's no good way to take a knife from somebody, no good way. And particularly not if you train it realistically in terms of the person who has the knife. Because what most people do when they train knife defense is they, is they have a guy stand there like a fencer with the, mm-hmm. with the knife out here. That's not how knife attacks happen. It's not. Um, bow, 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 exactly. Guide arm or stiff arm, and they're just going to sewing machine you with that thing. And that's horrifying because there's no good way to get to that knife and catch it. It's in and out so fast, right? That you can't get a hold of it you're just getting stabbed over and over and over again trying to grab this thing while you got one arm in your chest head whatever you know so we eventually started just like I'm, i guess i'm just going to get stabbed while i deal with this freaking arm you know i've got to deal with this arm so i got to get this thing out of the way and then maybe get to his back and then maybe get a hold of the knife arm and then probably get a hold of the other arm because he's going to switch the knife to the other hand like, that's something that people don't talk about enough. Yeah. You watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, season eight is total shit. I want to go ahead and say <laughs> that again. All, yeah. You know, I just rewatched season eight for the first time because I canceled my HBO after because I was very upset. I didn't get back <laughs> on. But Arya kills the Night King. Spoiler alert. You're not yeah. missing out. Don't watch season eight if you haven't. But she's like, goes to, and she drops it to the that's other. That's a beautiful, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's like, that doesn't come up enough. Like, so people are going to do that. It's an archaic idea. People that have never trained think that way. Nobody ever taught us to do that. We just did. Rodney didn't teach us to switch the knife to the other hand. We just did it. You know, he's got one. He's got, he's got that one hemmed up. You know, um, and it's, it's, I tell people all the time, a nine-year-old girl can get my wallet full of knife on me. I, what, what do I got? 80 bucks in there? You know, here you go, little girl. Have fun buying your whatever, whatever you're going to buy, you know, your uh, sweet tarts or whatever you're going to buy, you know. But I'm not, I'm not trying to take a knife away from anybody. I'm, I know. I'm not fighting anybody with a knife. It is one of those things. Like, I, it's, I love martial arts. So it's like all this stuff that we're talking about, esoteric or no, I like looking, looking into it, having conversations about it. And, and like, just like you, a couple of times have been like, I'm probably not right about any of this, but am I right? <laughs> Do we reopen this case file up? Like, yeah. that's the, I told, said this last night, we, we did some promotions and stuff, but it's like, I, Jeff Woods, my history mentor in college, is black belt in there now and teaches the noon class. And we're going over something. I was like, hey, you know, I came to his class. And this is my first student, really. Yeah. Uh, at the time, you know, and and then he taught me this thing that was really profound and blew my mind and changed the way that I did this outside heel look entirely. And, um, you know, I, I went over the detail and I was like, it's stuff like that that, that happens a, a few times a year, whether it's grappling or boxing or whatever, that is like, it has happened every year that I've trained and it keeps happening, like, of like, uh, why didn't I think of that? You know, type of a yeah. moment where, uh, you know, you see something, you do something, you connect the dots on something, change the way you did something, found out a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. 
And that stuff is what has kept me interested in this the whole time. Yeah. Um, I always talked about like that's why um, Rodney was able to come up with a successful, a, a functional uh, grappling system in a vacuum, essentially. You mm-hmm. know, um, is that he's a student. I mean, first and foremost, he's a student. He, um, he learns from me. I learned from Will, you know, I learned from Luke, you know, I, I learned, matter of fact, I, 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 I bet I've learned half a dozen things from Luke that you taught him. I guarantee it. And when he, stuff all he, the time. he came back from the military mm-hmm. and, and trained us again while he was at tech, like before the pandemic a little bit, but man, when he came back, he is totally different on the ground. I remember. Yeah. I mean, he's always, but like his, his, he's always been pretty dense, like his musculature, even, even when he was, was more, uh, when he was heavier. Yeah. But it was still like, damn, bro. Like, yeah, you're a slab. Yeah. You know, like underneath it was like, oh "Oh." man, yeah, he's brutal. But when he, I remember that I rolled with him and I was just like, geez, dude, like you're a tank now. Yeah. You know, and he had, I guess he'd got a blue belt where I, wherever you trained and, but yeah, it just kind of blew me away that, yeah. that he had kept up with it and gotten better than the last time I saw him. Yeah. You know, Luke's one of those guys. He's got a ton of experience, but man, he's like, he's like any of us. He's like a little kid, man. You start showing, he's just like, show me, show me something, you know, show me, show me that, show me this, show me that. I'll show you what we he's, used uh, to. He's super um, into it. We used to, uh, call, and I'm pretty sure he knows we called him this because we had a student also that looked like Nomeo. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen that Disney movie Up? Yeah. It, yeah. That's like, like uh, yeah. one of the other guys here, Randy Melton. So Luke, if you're if you're watching this, <laughs> uh, I, I can. I, I'm pretty sure that we used to joke with him about it, but maybe yeah. maybe we kept it to ourselves. But maybe you joked with him behind. But back. you're the kid from Up. Okay, but we had another guy, um, Blue Belt, trains with Rudy now. Actually, moved to to Cersei, and uh, he looked just like Nomeo. We call him Nomeo yeah. all the time. I, I I worked with a guy that was calling me Nomeo for a while. Wasn't that weird? I could see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially in the winter I wear my wear my hat Nomeo. But yeah, um, just being a, back to just being a student. I, I feel sorry for people who get to the point where they refuse to. It, it's always so cool to me to hear about instructors, professors, whoever it is, going to somebody else's seminar mm-hmm. just to learn from them. Like, man, that's so awesome. Well, that's why, like we said earlier, like I remember you guys being at um, Deshaun Church's seminar, and I remember so this would have been the poor college student time in my life, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was 28, still in, getting my master's degree, still in college. Yeah. But I remember Mark McFan being at that seminar. Mm-hmm. And he goes over and talking to Sean Shirk. He's like, hey, that was Greg. And I'm like, guys, talking about Greg Nelson over here. Yeah. Like, that's, and, and they're just like, all my students are like, who's Greg Nelson? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> don't you know anything? Yeah. But, you know, like that was, um, man, I have always chased 
knowledge you know yeah. like from the books to the the dvds i will say man it's just, it's a tragedy that almost every book on that shelf is out of print and they're not yeah. going to reprint them yeah like i don't foresee like we've shifted away from that mm -hmm. and so, you know i like that to an extent for some types of books like you know for my college textbooks I, I uploaded the audiobooks into my course for the online learning was called Byteboard today to in the PDFs to where it's like, here you go. No more yeah. textbooks required for this course. Yeah. You know, and it's like, but maybe if I had a software like that, just for learning mm -hmm. for my students, not just like maybe YouTube and do stuff like this, create content. But yeah, like I've been two of our instructors here that teach the morning program and the noon program. If we're doing something like we set out our next three months of like, here's what we're doing. Like I bought him a while back, Marcel Garcia's X card mm -hmm. out of print. He's, we were doing butterfly card. Yeah. And I remember buying that book and being like, and a book on X card. I went to a seminar and there's a whole book on it. Oh my God. Jory Malone taught a seminar on it when he, when he was, uh, he's passed away a couple of years ago, but I like get it. There's a bunch of butterfly in here. Like what? Ugh. Yeah, scarred, you know, but then like full circle, like we're like, you know, one of the best sources of butterfly yard is this book. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah, it yeah. truly is. And so, but we, I picked them up copies of that used 70 bucks a piece. Jeez. The, um, like the Gracie you Master. walk text. into 10 years ago. Oh, some of you those I bought into in a Vegas. Books a million. For, yeah. And find all of those for, you know. Used books. I went to a used bookstore in Denver and bought, um, there's a, a boxing encyclopedia up there. Like, and it's like uh, 1880s to 1990s or something like that. Like, it's like 100 years of history. Like, goes up yeah. to the, the Tyson era, you know. Yeah. But um, super cool. But uh, they had all kinds of Taekwondo books and books I'd never even seen before. Yeah. You know, and I chased down uh, several. Like, I bought a, I think, I don't know if it's up there. I bought a rare Inasano book, a JKD book. Mm -hmm. That I scored it for 30, 40 bucks, but it was selling for over 100 everywhere. Yeah. I just caught a, a, a used bookstore, threw it up, didn't know what they had type of a deal yeah. or what weren't being greedy about it. But I love chasing down these books. But I just like what I've seen over the last four or five years is people not printing, not just new editions of those. I mean, if you were going to, if you were going to do something, you, you would probably, I feel like I would be like, yeah, like film an instruction. Right. Right. You know, like that. And that's what everybody wants. I don't think people were like, I'm going to write a, a martial arts book. Mm -mm. No, not yeah. anymore. Yeah. No. And, you know, back in the day when I started training with Rodney, um, that's how he was getting the bulk of his continued education is through books, VHS tapes. That's all, that's all it was. You know, he, I mean, he's buying stuff out of the back of Black Bell magazine or wherever the hell he was finding it, you know, and, um, Mira's old Panther productions. Yeah. Yeah. I got exactly. like some Bill Wallace. I mean, some of them are down there, but Boonack, wouldn't Boonack all yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a Panther. I mean, almost everybody did at a certain yeah. time that was around. Yeah. Panther was, I guess that's who you went to if you were going to make a martial arts video or whatever, yeah. martial arts tape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like with the VHS to yeah. the. Got my new tape out. My new tape. My new tapes are coming out on Clint's or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, Rodney would watch these uh, 
watch these things and kind of digest them or whatever and then bring them to class and show us some stuff from them, whatever he decided was applicable, you know. He show us that stuff. Some of Gunak's old rat system. Yeah. Rapid assault tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would train stuff like that, you know, do like a a parry with a with a, a simultaneous attack, you know, and yeah. into like a straight blast situation mm-hmm. and do a takedown and do a stomp. I mean, we had guys it's funny you see um little shoot box guys doing it. Um, but we were doing it, you know, back in the early two thousands or whatever, throwing each other on the ground and then from your back you just hold the pads and somebody just Oh yeah, I've seen some of that. Them, uh, yeah. Yeah, we were doing that back in the day. Stomp, kick, you know, um, stuff like that, like a finish them off kind of thing, you know. And uh I'll tell somebody your your this the shoot boxing stuff uh that I've enjoyed watching from the JKD circles over the years and have some of the stuff is Yori Nakamura. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, I just like some of the boxing stuff he's put at, put out and then like clay, rolling knee bars. And yeah. I mean, he, he, like very much so like him and Eric Paulson, some of their like transitional stuff to the ground is in the same vein. Like I've seen him do a lot of the same stuff. But. Yeah. Yeah. I love Eric Paulson saying anything will work if you pull it off. Any, anything can work if you can pull it off or something like that, you know, because a lot of stuff that you, you see on uh, Eric Paulson DVDs or whatever is like, it's almost experimental level, you know, like, well, it looks kind of dicey, you know, like maybe you could do it, but I don't think I could do See, it. We, that I has a lot that, to do with his skill level and size. I feel that way with, uh, we were talking about this last night with one of my guys here about the 10 planet stuff. Yeah. Like I've always followed it. Yeah. But the way he discusses the Jeff Woods' black belt, uh, as mentioned earlier, he described it this way. He's like, "Yeah, it's like there's always a little bit of slop in there. <laughs> it's like, and it like for Eddie, it'll work. But like, we're to the point where it's like you're seeing uh, either students from ten, like some of the videos we were referencing, are like it's at Eddie's gym, but he's filming like his blue and purple belts doing, yeah. and." they're they're not doing it is the way he would do it precise and but that's the information they're putting out like yeah. all these drills that they do they're yeah. uh, warm-ups they call them. yeah like flow drills yeah yeah it's you know the proof's in the pudding at the end of the day and i think the rubber guard stuff is i wouldn't put it quite in the category of trapping but it's like you you look for me the ufc is the ultimate proving ground you know or, or, or mma right mma mm-hmm. competition period I don't see rubber guard being used in MMA. I don't, I don't see, I mean, I'll just go down a whole rabbit hole here of stuff that I, I don't see the scissor sweep being used in MMA, right? Like now, don't misunderstand. Um, I, I got a couple of students right now, uh, regular old fellas who are murderous with scissor sweeps. Yeah. I know they work. I, I've never seen one, one time, in MMA I, that I can think about. Honestly. I don't know that I can think of a scissor sweep I've ever seen in MMA competition. Um, like I said, I've got a couple of guys right now who, who just kill you all day with a scissor sweep. And William, um, um, pissed me off to no end. Uh, the first person I rolled with when I started rolling again was William because I knew he wouldn't hurt me. I knew he knew exactly how to put his weight. I knew he was going to be on top. But I knew he wouldn't hurt me, right? He wouldn't hurt my back or anything. So 
he would go for his scissor sweep and I would, um, I've never been like, I'm not easy to scissor sweep. I just, I, it's easy to stuff it, you know, um, if you've got experience. Mm-hmm. So I would do what I do. I would post and he would come over me and he would try to scissor sweep me and I would post and he would come over me. And I, and I finally was like, Willie, what am I doing? And he's like, exactly what you should do. <laughs> you know, you're, you're posting your hand. Um, but he's, uh, so it's effective at setting stuff up, you know, at the, well, at the end of the day, like the scissor sweep, it's a set, it's effective at controlling distance, creating distance, filling space that you create if you've postured up, et cetera. But like the scissor sweep, it's not really, it's not really, all the sweeps from guard. <laughs> yeah, I teach, I, I've this seen... is what I tell my students. This is what I used to tell my fighters. I would, I, I guys, I'm going to show you the most, the most effective sweep from guard you're ever going to see. It's the most effective. You're going to see it in MMA constantly. Once I show this to you, you're going to see this constantly. The most effective guard sweep. And I would do a technical get up, and as they got up, I would double leg them. That Ta-da! sort of stuff I love, man. The breeze shots, you know, shoot yeah. in. Uh, oh. You're standing up, might as well ankle pick them. Yeah. You know, it's this little stuff like that. But, man, I I can count on one hand how many sweeps immediately come to my mind. Um, When you see one, it's like, oh, it's a unicorn. Yeah, Yeah. it's the most brilliant thing ever, but it happens so rarely. I remember this. This is a thing of beauty. Remember Joe Daddy Stevenson? Yeah. He, he, I remember him butterfly sweeping a couple guys, right? And, um, but one time he was trying for a butterfly sweep in the UFC and dropped the dude back into a guillotine choke and tapped him. Like it was, it was like he was lifting him up and just dropped him back in. And I can't yeah, remember I who he was trying to remember that, but yeah. it was like, it, it, like he had blend. I was like, wow, he blended his sweep to his submission. Like what you're saying with the scissor yeah. sweep. Right. Yeah. And then I remember this, this is a great fight. I've watched it several times. I've watched it live. Miguel Torres, his first fight in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, might have been a second against Demetrius Johnson when Demetrius Johnson was still a 35er, right? Yeah. So in that fight, it was a, I, I still think Miguel Torres fucking won that fight. Really? Right? Miguel Torres swept Demetrius Johnson, I believe, two times, right? Yeah. I believe it was a butterfly sweep and a flower sweep. Yeah. But it's just like uh, he was a, uh, a Carlson senior guy. Him and Stephen Bonner came out of the same gym, yeah. right? And... Um, his I've trained with Miguel Torres. Like his jujitsu is insane. Like, yeah. and we trained with him right after he had lost those two WC fights before he went to Brian Bowles and um, Benavidez. Yeah, he lost them his last two fights. He just lost the title and then uh, lost again. Cracked his head, a gnarly yeah. scar. But then he was training at TriStar mm-hmm. to go to the UFC with Firas, and he did a seminar at Caleb's for like two hours. Two hours striking, two hours Novi, two hours gi. Like it was an all day thing with like a lunch in the middle. You yeah. know, it was amazing. Yeah. But uh, I that was such a great seminar. But I, tons of stuff I learned. I saw I was a newer blue belt. It was just yeah. a real profound event. But that guy's jujitsu is really good. Yeah. And that fight's an example of it. But I just described to you the only two fights I can remember sweeps happening. In. Yeah. Well, and look. And I, this is another thing I tell people. It's like the guard in general is just the best bad position. Yeah. You know, 
that's again that's another non-classical grappling like ten commandment the guard is just the best bad position you know um all of your now you got outliers and i mean so rare like brian ortega if you're on top of him in full mount you're in deep shit t city yeah you're in deep you know like you're about to get swept rolled he's about to regard and he's going to catch you in a submission like if you just hear a real wicked split can you name another other than him can you name another person like if you're on the ground with them on top of them in their guard you, you can but i mean literally like you can name them on one yeah hand. yeah like, mma like is between the diaz brothers if you're on top of them in full guard you might be in trouble but it's but not necessarily at the same time right like gsp beat the brakes off of nick diaz from top position these are guys with great jujitsu as good just about as good as it gets jujitsu and um i'm not saying jujitsu doesn't work i'm just saying it's not it's like we said the whole time it's not the only thing key top position is key i think people get you get too complacent in the bottom position because you're not punching you know um and so you start to say well i'll just play guard you know dope yeah yeah people um seem way more of a strategy uh people are starting to go to in mma right now for guard work is like more of a butterfly sitting up into you style of a guard other than being like almost like yeah i'm still in guard but i'm not on my back well they're creating scrambles from guard that's about all they're doing they're they're creating scrambles to either get up or snatch a submission like that fast. They're not just hanging out in there. Um, the old like closed guard is something, you know, honestly, anytime I see a closed guard, I'm like, uh Oh, he's tired. You know, like he's tired and hurt. Well, you, know? you, get, so you get tired from holding see, your guard closed. Exactly. But you know, anytime I see a closed guard, like I, I'm, Unless it's like in the first round, if I see a closed guard in the first round, I'm seeing either a guy who, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. Particularly, you know, like he's not, he must not particularly be, be particularly good at getting up or fighting from his back or something. Like it's kind of, almost, almost like a panic tactic, or a yeah. lost, yeah, kind of thing. Um, or somebody closes their guard, and I'm like, ooh, okay, I'm about to see something pretty cool here, right? Because most of the time, 95, at least 95% of the time, you see an open guard and you see a guy just like scooting to the fence, you know, getting his hips up and starting to try to stand up. You know, you don't see, um, and it's a shame going back to the gloves. I think the gloves have a a big part in that because um, you can't, like risk control is extremely hard with an MMA glove you can't hold on to people very well. And if you can't hold on, if you can't just snatch a wrist up, you it's very hard to set up triangles. You know, you punch that wrist, you know, you grab and pull. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to do it with an MMA club. And then it's hard so to get your with hands. That wrap on top of that. Yeah, getting your hands in places you want them to go with the MMA glove for, for submissions. It's a shame because I really think it stifles um, grapplers. It stifles the, the the gloves really I, yeah, I would agree with that so uh, that's why i would be interested in like a bare knuckle uh mma just because i'd want to see 
I think it would totally change grappling. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, to change the striking too. I would like to see. Yeah, you know, Chuck Norris had the like the dome, like yeah. where you would fight, like you'd fight on this ramp. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we've seen the cage. People are still falling out of boxing rings for some reason. They just haven't decided to extend it out another three feet on the edges. You know, yeah. probably right. Bernard Hopkins would never fall out of the ring again. Like right. you know, but it would. I. It's interesting, like to think about a world in which there's no cage war. Yes. But I think people would just keep backing up. Yeah, like it would be. I, I think it, you would literally just like wherever the nearest, if, if it's 100 yards away, a lot of people are going to back up 99 yards. Mm-hmm. You know. You ever heard, uh, I did a like a 20-minute podcast about this, but have you ever heard of a mythical... There's some record of him, but a uh, a Greek boxer named Melanchonis. No. Okay, so allegedly won the the Olympiad one year, and he he may have existed, right? There's some evidence, but here is the here's the myth, which may or may not have been true. He was undefeated. He'd never lost a, a contest. He was never hit in a contest. No one ever struck a blow to him. He never delivered a blow. So what he would essentially do what? is he would he would make people so like in this game we're talking about about keeping backing up. Yeah. He would just refuse to engage with people. Yeah. And they would chase him and get tired, exhaust themselves, and exhaust themselves and get. And, like, well, I want to say his, I forget what his match links were. I had all this in my notes doing a podcast. Yeah. But he would go for like hours with people and they would either get frustrated, or this, you know, but yeah, he's, his whole thing is like the tenets of what we, we probably aspire to try. Like, oh, yeah. hit, don't get hit. Right. Like, it's like the myth of that. Yeah. You know, and, it is. It's a myth. Like yeah. it's, he, he is described as a mythological, you know, boxer from the right. ancient world. Right. But it's like that. That's yeah. Vasily Lomachenko, uh, other than hitting people too, kind of does that same shit. Do, yeah. I was saying about this earlier when you're talking about um, right leads or you know mm-hmm. power stuff forward. Lomachenko is right-handed. Really, but he's. A I've, I've wondered that. I wondered that with a lot of with a lot of southpaws. Yeah, Bryce um, Mitchell's right-handed. He fights yeah. up on the UFC, but he See, wrestled. I don't know why grapplers switch leads. I, I've never understood that. Like, if you if you are a jujitsu guy or a or a wrestler, particularly wrestlers, because you start from standing and you start with your strong side in the front, hand fighting and all that. Why are you switching stances? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of guys will literally switch to orthodox, and then when they want to shoot, they'll switch back to southpaw. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Well, Matt Hughes, if I'm not mistaken, did, he did. that a little bit. Yeah, better when he that. wanted to wrestle more, he would he would come out southpaw and, and try to wrestle more. It's like, why are you creating this situation where a person knows exactly what you're going to do out of any out of out of that stance? Why don't you just fight? Um, have you messed with strong side forward any? Uh, a, a little bit. Uh, here's a, hey, I'm left-handed. 
Okay. So uh, my first two fights, I fought Southpaw. I injured my elbow. I hurt for like a year. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's probably making a bigger deal out than it was. But my, my coaches at the time, Mike and Caleb, were like, yeah, you know, if you just stay orthodox, that'd be better for us. You know, type of a deal, which is kind of stereotypical, honestly. Like, it's hard to train southpaws. They're harder yeah. if you don't put any time into it. But yeah. I don't, like, do both sides, per se, but yeah. I have a lot of drills I do that, like, man, Dwayne Ludwig, hey, he calls it the swing line. Mm-hmm. But he'll just swing back into southpaw and do, you know, like, do, do combos that are applicable when he's backing up. Yeah, and he'll tag people. He'll angle out with it, mm-hmm. and I'm. It's a. I've heard people say this a thousand times. Like, don't back up. We don't back. It's like, yeah, motherfucker, but you do. Like, sure do. I, I've never seen a fight where nobody would like. Oh yeah. yeah, neither guy backed up. It's like it's a fact of life, and like as long as we're saying don't back, like we're not training it at all. Right. Anderson Silva Force Griffin. Exactly. Um, yep. So like I do a little bit of that, but. um I don't. I've, I fight orthodox, which is technically I'm South. Right. You know, so it's technically okay. that's that technically what I'm doing. Okay, interesting. So from that stance, um, for me, it, it makes as much sense to go with either stance. If if once you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, right. Because the debate is how long Strong does that take? For, yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of debates and conversations that can be had about what to do at when at what point of the uh, of, of your training and, and et cetera. But um the strong side forward thing, like the 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 punch you're gonna feel the most comfortable throwing and sparring is the jab. The punch you're gonna use the most is the jab punch you're going to land the most that's why i like being orthodox man when i switched i will tell you being 18 months of southpaw it definitively felt better and this happens too having a an amateur boxing club in here Mm -hmm. two or three classes a week we have practices so every new person and sometimes you see it in kickboxing too the other starting classes but you know we'll do a combo we'll say we're doing jab cross over Mm-hmm. classic you know you're you're showing it like here's guys what we're doing or you know or let's just say you're doing triple single double triple jab right the new guys dude the other day does jiu-jitsu here too he's just like i'm like you left-handed or right-handed that's like a basic question you ask everybody and he's like they don't ever want to give you an answer because they know they even know they know they're going to say right-handed i'm going to tell them to switch it because they're standing like a southpaw mm-hmm. and but People come in and gravitate. It's because we start, do so many combos, start with the jab, we work the jab so much. They ins- naturally want to put yeah. that other hand forward because it's their right hand. Yeah. And, you know. The, the, the downside of it is that the jab is inherently just not a powerful punch. You see in the Terry Toms book how you can turn it into it. I don't know if you dabbled with the straight, with actually throwing the straight lead. You can crack with a straight lead if you've got the got the mechanics down. You can make it a strong punch. Um, we've got at least two KOs that I can think of from from the straight lead out of our fight team. Um, but uh, you can make it a powerful punch, but the jab is not a particularly powerful punch. And now your big strong 
punch is done with your weak hand. Mm -hmm. So initially, you don't have, you really don't have a power punch. The hook doesn't come naturally to beginners. Um, eventually, my hook would like that because that's my money punch. I'm corralling you into my hook because I'm going to murder you, right, with my strong side forward lead hook, right? But that doesn't come naturally to beginners necessarily. The mechanics of it doesn't mm -hmm. feel right. So right out of the gate, I think some people feel like, okay, this jab feels good. But when it comes to like really cracking hard, cracking the pads hard, they get this feeling like, yeah, nothing really it's hard here. Um, whereas if you go orthodox, downside is you got one good punch. <laughs> right? Like initially you got one good punch, an overhand right, because the straight right doesn't come naturally to people, but that nice overhand right yeah. feels good. Your jab, you can't break an egg with it. Right? So that's the bad part, but I think it's empowering to people to leave that first lesson going. That sucker felt good. Yeah. Right. So it's hard to figure out what um, to figure out what man, I'm hungry. It's hard to figure out what uh, kind of modality to train under. I'm still kind of toying with that myself. Like what? Because um, I've gone back and forth. I actually train people orthodox now, you know, um, or, or traditional lead. Or I should say, you know, South Paul's fight South. Well, it, the, I think the big thing that you probably are able to do, though, more so than even myself, is do both. Yeah, is to oh, never shortchange your South Paul's. To yeah. never, I mean, I like, I know a gym that their kids program. It's Caleb, and he's arguably has the biggest kids martial arts program in the state. Mm -hmm. And I heard their guy that does their intro lessons tell. A parent, like, yeah, yeah, everybody's standing this way. Like, essentially, he's like, yeah, everybody's right-handed. And I, as a left-handed person, I'm like, you're part of the problem, dude. Like, you, they, it's not that easy, and it's not even it, – it's more like what you're talking about, right? Like, yeah. with, the, with the way to view it, it's like, yeah. I observe everybody comes in here and wants to throw a jab with their dominant. Yeah. So, like, why would we not work around that a little bit, right? Yeah. It's my video editor. I just hired somebody to edit all the edit and do all the uploads to the gym and everything. Wow. So it's, dude, I don't have time for all that anymore. Like, yeah. like I mean, it's a day time. project. Uh, I will film for a couple of hours a week and have stuff. And then by the time I edit it, want to put it up, audio, video, put the logo in there. Yeah, it's just an nightmare. Uh, and if I do that, I won't do anything else. Yeah, like I'm trying to get my master's thesis published. And so I had to clear things up for my schedule. Other than just teaching martial arts and history. That's pretty much in this pretty yeah. much all I want. I, you know, I thought I was going to have all the free time in the world and man, it's not. So, so I mean, it comes time to like, just get my oil changed. It's like, Oh, I, I, know, man, I just got my car out of the shop today. Um, somebody T-boned me, um, low rate of speed, but, Chip, they replaced the whole side of the car. A super Forester out there, but uh, it looks good. I can't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I remember how big of an inconvenience it was leaving the college, 
going to the body shop, waiting around to get assessed for the damage for like an hour and 15 minutes I was there. And then it's like, well, time to go to the gym. Yeah. You know, and that's even like, I'm just like, yesterday I wrapped up the college and I'm like, oh, I've got the summer, man. I'm teaching online, a couple of classes, extra, extra income to pay off student loans with. But yeah. uh, it, it is, uh, it is nice. It's like, all right, I'm podcasting and teaching martial arts and that's yeah. it for the whole summer. I mean, I'm sure I'll, I've got a big cybersecurity upgrades for the gym and it's different things we're doing. So, yeah always always something to do I, there's a half a dozen projects in my gym that well that's that's i uh, never find time to do howie there he's one of the boxers had a couple fights but um he's not even editing video today i got him doing other stuff i'm like like we've got a cooler in there with waters and the the compressor in the unit in the bottom needs vacuumed out and stuff that it's like dude i'm just really a little bit of free time today, yeah, but I don't want to do that with my free time. Farm this stuff out a little bit. Yeah, you, you know, you think you're going to have all this time, but um, it, it never seems to be like that. There's always, always something. Another mountain to climb, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, uh, yeah, man, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Get you some let's food. <laughs> my, my stomach's. Yeah. No, I uh, I could I could go for uh, go for some eats as well. I grabbed a, a smoothie. Right. I can yeah, I got here a couple hours before you did and I grabbed a smoothie on my way back in and uh, it's about time for another snack. Peanut butter sandwich or something to tie me over. Yeah. Man, it's it's definitely food is food's my uh Achilles heel, man. That's yeah, always I, been. it has been for me. Like my wife is um a really good cook, but she's been on a diet. So like I'm eating salads all so the time. I'm losing weight and I'm just yeah. like, yeah. Well, I see the problem here is the food you've been feeding me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, for me too, man. I, I, it, anymore, my metabolism, it's like I used to could eat donuts and, oh, yeah. Not fit, not irritate my stomach or anything. Now it's like you eat a couple of donuts and chocolate milk and you, you, you're looking pudgy. Like yeah. for me, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I just notice it a lot more that, and then I notice too when I'm even eating clean for a couple of weeks. I, um, I lean yeah. up. Yeah, I, I, uh, I finally just started forcing myself to eat less. I'm a big overeater. Big overeater. I don't get full. I just get time to eat. Yeah, that's portions are, yeah, are definitely like. Some. I mean, we. I think a lot of people, humans, are just like, yeah, yeah. It's like it's the portion control. I know for me, I may get out of here at seven thirty and eating dinner close to eight thirty. Go to I get up at four, so I go to bed at like. 9 30 10 yeah. like i i stayed up till 10 24 last night that's the last time i remember and i, I was like i did something today <laughs> right? but we got out of here late last night because we had an yeah. event so but it is uh like this is my eating schedule like i eat usually a bigger dinner mm-hmm. don't eat a lot at the beginning of the day i'm probably gonna start trying to reverse that because i usually don't eat till lunch i'll just drink coffee and water and not a lot of calories in the mornings i'm getting you know, it's one thing to show up to class and participate in class uh, with a bad case of the farts, right? But to be <laughs> teaching the class. So I, I, I like kind of just snack around all day, you know, yeah. because otherwise. I started with all, like nice. almonds and cashews, just like some like healthier yeah, snacks. I, I, I do enjoy nuts, uh, like just unsalted, plain. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, 
Yeah. Well, man, um, you know, maybe if you're down um, one of these days, I'm going to hit, uh, I'm going to hit up Dwight and see if he wants to come on the podcast, but maybe, uh, maybe we can get together and train, dude, if, yes, if you want. Like, I, I, I was going to ask you about it, but just figure we'd meet each other and talk. And, but yeah. I, I'm, for this summer, I'm going to go train and do training with as much people. I'm Mark Bradford or uh, not Bradford, Barber, yeah. 501 Martial Arts Con. Can yeah. I do that thing? <laughs> they both been on the podcast yeah. but um i was just talking to him i'm gonna go up and train with him he's he's done a ton of savant um, really and he's, he's trained with delagrati he's a cybersecurity for nike wow so and he works from home and he's he was like been working for home before it was cool yeah you know? so he's like a road warrior yeah but man his he has some of the best striking it's yeah. he's trained with inasano probably half a dozen times he's trained all over with everybody yeah you know and uh but this summer that's one thing i've been training super hard for this super fit test but i'm trying to open mat i know some of the west side guys inferno and rudy and people coming out tomorrow but i'm I'm gonna keep the train rolling this summertime's the time i got to to train extra you know yeah so that'd be great i'd love to i'm I'm always down to trade notes yeah. for people you know yeah likewise yeah but and man i just like i like i said earlier it's i've always had a, a, an interest in sort of that part of the martial arts mind map some of the stuff that you've had a background in some of the stuff that whether it's what it just hey well what did ted Wong say about that yeah. you know yeah. just the subtleties of yeah like man superfoot system is not a complete system yeah it is like three kicks and two punches, and the three kicks are with your same leg. He doesn't even kick with his other leg. Yeah. Yeah, Ted, Ted Wong's uh, <clears throat> JKD is that way. Five punches, three kicks. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. That, like, that, that's it. And it's just like now how sophisticated can we make our combinations off of this little narrow, which I think is too, as you know, the thing I fight with him about, that's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough, you know. It's like, yeah, I get it, simplicity, but like some people deserve a rear leg kick. Some people deserve for me to switch orthodox and smash them with an overhand right. Mm-hmm. Some people just really need that in their life. So why are we why am I taking why am I taking this huge pivot step to get back to Southpaw when I can just step over here and crush you with a straight right? Why why are we doing that? You know, why am I stepping out this way and doing this big angle? So, well, you see, yeah, I think you're saying this in the gym, maybe before we started recording, but uh, it's like I joke around about this. It's like, what do you guys think? I'm a combo doctor. Like, just like this is the combo you need for your problems. Like, exactly. Like, exactly. this is the one. Yeah. It, like, it's, I feel like there's a little bit of that. Like, we're just too much investing in, like, with this combination right here. Jack Cross at Cross, which is a great one. You yeah. Apply. You, that, if I was going to just have one combo, that would be it. Right. Because you can do it so many different ways. Right. You know, but it's like combos, you know, I think that that can get people just like try to come up with an infinite number of combos where it's like, you know, I, I like just doing different combos all the time. Kind of like what you're saying. I'm just yeah. going to come up with stuff and yeah. tweak it. And, but it's like there's no like this combo works all the time. Like, or this yeah. is the answer. This is always the answer. Right. right but people, right. some people think that way or yeah. expect it to be that way. They want it to be that way. I think we're a lot of the, I mean, to be honest, I think we're a lot of the, the 
cultism comes from, um, particularly like with trapping, um, doesn't take much energy. You know, you see, see a lot of fat people, see a lot of fat people doing trapping hands. Just saying. You, you see a lot you're of right. Fat you're right. Doing, you know, it is. It's. A, it is interesting. I, and all martial arts, I think, have kind of a little bit of the different following you know of like i remember going to the martial arts super show century has and had it this year the last year because of COVID, i've been six times in vegas since they lined up at the international fight week everybody's there but it's like you'd be training with greg jackson and then you've got like overweight trapping hands guy there too like you know i do look bad you know what I'm saying? And like, that's like, that would turn Caleb off. He's like, no, I'm not going up Mike Winkle Johnson. There's going to be a bunch of weird karate people there. Like, and yeah. I'm like, but Mike Winkle Johnson's going to be there. Yeah. It, you know, and it's the same way with, uh, with JKD for whatever reason, man. It just like, it attracts a certain kind. Man, don't misunderstand me. Like there's a lot of really cool, tough guys that train in JKD, Ted Wong, JKD. But it also seems to attract like a certain esoteric um, so uh Yeah, you know, I don't know, like just kind of a Bruce Lee nerd type character um, who um, says a lot of things but never does anything. You know, like he, you can quote Bruce Lee all day long, but. You, you couldn't go three minutes on a heavy bag, you know, like not to save your life. And you couldn't spar. I've seen uh, very little sparring ever at Ted Wong seminars. And when I did see it, it was our group doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, nobody's interested in stuff like that. I've seen instructors spar and it was embarrassing seen instructors spar like with our students yeah i'm really i've kind of not been warned about that but like with the super foot testing i'm going to do because he hadn't done one in like first testing i've been he's done since like the pandemic apparently yeah. and there's like 22 or 26 people testing for black belts yeah and probably going to be a handful of people there that are not going to get belts or just wow. that show up periodically these testings even though they have like even more of a bet like i got to do a pre-test webcam in the gym on the 22nd where they're like they're just gonna watch and be like because one of my guys is doing it too yeah. and um they're gonna watch and make sure because they're like we're trying to do away from those type of people even showing up like the showing up for the test they can come to the seminar like the goons or whatever yeah basically, yeah you know, basically people that are belt like chasers or whatever belt chasers that they're not gonna spar they can't like they'll make you hold your leg up for like three minutes like he'll make you hold then he'll make you flutter, hold, then continuous kick. And yeah, dude, it's rough. Like I ordered some ankle weights to like build my shit up. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I'll be doing the holds and my leg will just start. Oh yeah. Like in ball, I'm like that hip flexor will just catch fire. Yeah. That's so hard to do. I don't know how I, I don't know how people I don't know how people do it. Like especially like the Van Dams and the oh Bruce Lee's, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. Oh fuck! Bill has Superfoot has two artificial hips, and so does Danny Drink. Maybe that's how they do it. Maybe robot legs. Uh, there's a hilarious story. This dude did that to Rodney in a point tournament, one of the maybe one or two point tournaments we went to over the years just to just to do something. And um, 
guy's like a vice president of the organization and he's like and then the guy's like how'd you mean whatever you know fight you know Rodney moves on the guy and the guy just sticks his leg out at him like this puts it up like this sticks his knee up you know puts his foot out and Rodney's like and just round kicks this dude in the shin just absolutely <laughs> just as hard as he could kick it and uh i mean it's covering a target area you know so it's legal but yeah the guy did not get cute anymore and uh did the uh joe lewis would call it that don't get cute yeah he had, that was a quote he would have known for saying i've mm-hmm. seen it uh he's like there's an article like 40 do's and don'ts to get boxing or something like that the yeah white belt circulates periodically but mm-hmm. he's like don't get cute mm-hmm. yeah yeah, anytime you start feeling cool. It's yeah. not, it's not, and that first it's time I, I tell you this, that's the first time I sparred with Drain. He um and I mean I'm like all fifty fights, you know, this dude's like fifty three years old, like too artificially absurd. I think he just had one at that point, but he he did kind of like a pendulum step sort of round kick and went whoosh, and like like felt the wind off of it, pauses it here. He's like, You see that? That's control. And like puts it back down and like goes back to moving around. I was just like, "Oh yikes!" Then he axe kicked me a few minutes later. Like <laughs> I was just like, I remember going over to Willie and being like, "What do you even do when someone axe kicks you in the top of the head?" And he's like, "Man, you got to do that X bar." <laughs> I was like, "Dude, are you fucking with me right now?" <laughs> he was like, yeah, just like the, the, the Taekwondo answer or whatever, but uh, it was it was funny. But I, I mean, shoot, I remember like it blew my mind that he could just like first time I ever did any of that leg raise stuff with Drang, I'm like my legs like down here a little bit, you know, it's mm-hmm. like horizontal now. He's like over my head, just like I'm like, dude, how do you do that? Yeah, and how do you do it with like him on the other side, artificial hips? Like we were stretching last night before we trained and. Every, he's like everybody leans forward he leans forward into a forward split and uh everybody's like dying you know we've been stretching middle stretch and uh, i was like lean forward you peasants <laughs> and uh, everybody starts laughing but it's like yeah it's you you stretch with the guy and you're just like sweating like he like because you're trying to do it like him you're like oh, we can't go further anymore yeah we've been sitting here too long dude <laughs> I, I love being around these legends man oh it's it's great man well, it's been it's been awesome just chatting with you about it, man. But yeah, definitely, I will. Um, I'll hit you up, man. If if you're down, I, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come see you next time. If uh, not imposing, or you can come down here, no, it doesn't matter. We can do another podcast. Yeah, but uh, it's it's nice finally getting to sit down and talk yeah. with you, man. You too. All right, bro. Awesome. We'll wrap her up here. About two two and a half in.